This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the documentary The Curse of the Blair Witch from Artisan Entertainment, the uncensored investigation that takes over where the project left off. The Curse of the Blair Witch, only on Sci Fi. Wait, that can't be right. It's on the Science Fiction channel. Do people believe this crap? Under the octopus with the steamboats, ancient goblins, and wild oats. Come at the grand line, making a sound. The smell of death is on the rail. And at night when the cold wind blows, no one cares, nobody knows. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are, and it's found footage haunting week yeah. on Pod Cemetery with 1999's The Blair Witch Project and 2015's Hell House LLC. Not to be confused with another movie that's just called Hell House from the early 2000s. Oh, I've seen that. That's a that's an interesting movie. That's a documentary about a weird haunted house that a christian community puts up oh a a, a documentary yeah it is, it is. <laughs> but it's a real is. actual documentary yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes i've seen that one too actually now that you mention it but before we get to the movies though kelsey how do we start the show horror trivia give me what you got these questions are so fucking easy we, we need to get you a new source of horror trivia because those cards are too easy i agree the Exorcist was the first horror movie to be nominated for what in 1974? An Academy Award? Or do you want to be more specific? No, it just says an Academy Award. Okay. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. When was the film footage taken by the students found? It's multiple choice, but I'm not giving you those multiple choices. We just watched a whole thing breaking down the timeline. <laughs> Can she remember? I mean, I uh, I think it's a year later, so 1985. A year later is absolutely accurate, yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, Kelsey, let's get right into the Blair Witch Project, shall we? Right. It is written and directed by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, starring Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard. What is the Blair Witch Project about? It's an hour and 20 minutes of people wandering around in the woods being very afraid of sticks. Sure. It is $4 to rent and $10 to buy on iTunes, though. Should people watch it? Yes. Wow. I I'm genuinely surprised by this response, actually. <laughs> it's really, it's... Uh, with that description, why do you say people should watch it? It's an important part of horror history. Not because it was the first movie to ever do what it did. It no, just, the whole found footage thing, it's been around for a very long time. But for whatever reason, this movie made that explode. It made it made gorilla type of film a big deal. Yeah. You know, different ways of shooting things, not your just not just a person with a camera following a script, you know, right. like they wanted to do different things. And I don't necessarily think it worked. It didn't work for me, but it started a lot of pillars of the horror genre for the 2000s. Do you remember seeing it when it first came out? Yes. I was 
Let's see. It came out in 99, so I was either 11 or 12 when it came out. And my mom initially didn't want me to see it because I get so scared of, I got so scared back then. And my brother saw it and my brother was like, it's not, it's not scary, but my brother was, was full on 100% believed it was real. Me and my mom laughed at him, and then when it came out, we were like, wow. <laughs> so my mom was like, all right, fine, because Kelsey really wants to see it, we'll go. My mom couldn't hang. It made her real sick. Because of the motion. Yeah, which is strange because my mom doesn't normally get motion sickness, but I think this for her was so jarring because we had never, I had never seen anything like this. There are other movies that existed before this. But I had not seen them yet. So at the time, this was like, whoa, what do they think they're doing with this camera work? What is going on, you know? It was a big, big deal. And my mom got super sick. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I thought this was a horror movie. And I was just like, this is You so had the boring. attention span of a middle school student. <laughs> It's exact same kind of stuff that annoys you about kids now. I'm so bored, <laughs> and I was just like, I don't understand why they're afraid, and I'm afraid of everything at this point in my life. So I'm just like, why are they afraid of this? I wouldn't be afraid of this. I remember being outraged at the ending. I still totally am. So my thoughts have not changed much about this, except that it was a big deal for horror and you didn't a know that at the time deal for horror but you didn't know that at the time yeah so i remember i had my it's weird because i would have been i would have just turned 16 and i got my driver's license when i turned 16 like on my birthday or just after my birthday something like that and so i should have been able to drive but i couldn't for some oh because i was going with bob Bob, who's been on the show before, he's on our Christine episode, he and I were going to go see it, and I wasn't allowed to drive anybody under the age of whatever, because I had just gotten my license, so my mom drove me. We tried to get tickets, but because it was rated R, <laughs> they wouldn't let us. Oh my god. Yes. Yes. This is around the time that Bill Clinton was encouraging movie theaters to enforce the ratings guidelines. Oh, I absolutely remember that. Yeah. I just can't believe you didn't go in with a plan. Well, it had never happened to us before. Oh, we, I always, we always picked some move, some kid movie that was playing at the same time. Well, what, what, what had actually happened was, oh, no, this is what happened. My mom went with us and tried to buy two tickets. Oh, they made her buy three. They made her buy three because she had not only did she have to buy the buy us the tickets, she had to go in with us. And she was so super pissed. She went in with us, she sat down, but as soon as the movie started, she got up and she left. And then the movie ended. I remember really enjoying it. It was something unique and new. And then we didn't have a ride home. I don't remember why, but I, I think I was terrified of calling my mom because she was so pissed off out of having to do all that stuff just so we could see the movie. I didn't understand that she was pissed off at what was going on, not at us. And so I like I didn't have anybody to call or anything. I ended up calling my best friend at the time. I ended up calling his older sister, who I think 
I might have mentioned this on the show when I talked about this before. I think we interrupted having sex. She answered the phone like all out of breath and <laughs> she was there with her boyfriend. And, Why would she and they have answered and, the phone? I don't know. They came and they picked us up and <laughs> I just thought that was, it's just this thing that's just, it's forever in my brain surrounding this movie. <laughs> anyway, you say you should still watch it though. Yeah. I agree, but I think it's actually good. Oh God, why? Because I think it's effective. I I think I grew up. I had a small camera. I filmed a lot of things. Like a lot of my life, I can picture through a camera like this. And so the fact that it's filmed in this way makes it actually it it's actually effective. It makes it more real for me. Yeah, and the fact that we're like. There's stuff that happens in Hell House, which we'll talk about later, that make it less real because there are fantastic things that happen and it breaks my suspension of disbelief. This doesn't do that literally ever. Uh, Maybe once. And we'll get to that. But it maintains that suspension of disbelief throughout the entire thing, including the ending. And I think if you're paying attention, the ending makes a lot more sense and it's not as frustrating. The movie tells you exactly what happened. It's just you walk out of the movie and you're like, what kind of ending is that? And you're just pissed. And all you remember is that you're pissed. <laughs> That's my interpretation of it anyway. You made it sound like I didn't understand what happened. I understood what happened. But that doesn't mean that it... That doesn't mean that it makes... Like, who is this woman? Why the did Blair she witch. do any of this? Because she's a witch. When you never, you never ask that question of any malevolent forces in any movie ever. Why is this one the one where you ask that question? Because I don't give you nearly enough information. <laughs> they do, actually, in all the extra footage, which we'll talk about uh, at the end. But you could take our advice or leave it. When we come back, we will talk about 1999's The Blair Witch Project. You had an encounter with the Blair Witch? In these woods. They say that the woods are all haunted up there. If you lose your way. I don't go up there. Hello? You lose your life. John! This fall. Oh, a horror comes home. There's no one here to help you. Own The Blair Witch Project no. on video or DVD. Now you can see what's never been seen. I'm scared to close my eyes. All right, Kelsey. Get us started on The Blair Witch Project. What happens at the beginning of the movie? Okay, so we get a title card explaining that one year ago... They found the footage of these three college kids who went out to do a documentary in Burkittsville, Maryland, about a witch. And it literally says a year later, there's the answer to the question, their footage was found. Hence the term found footage, which I think was coined after this movie. I know the concept wasn't new, but I feel like the term found footage was coined because the idea is that, you know, kind of like in cannibal holocaust right like everyone is dies in cannibal holocaust and then they find the footage but this is literally calls it their footage was found and now all of a sudden there's a whole genre called found footage (laughs) okay so we start to watch the footage and we immediately meet heather donahue and josh they are two of the three main characters and they are friends who are going to make a documentary together. Now, 
We've watched a lot of extra stuff. Do you want to talk about what we watched? We can talk about the actual content of it later, but we did watch The Curse of the Blair Witch, which was a fake actual documentary, like with interviews and everything, not just the collected footage that was recovered. It was a, it was a documentary about the Blair Witch and these children going missing. As if missing. it really happened. As if it really happened. And it was it was released on sci-fi before the movie came out. Which is why people like my brother did believe it. Uh-huh. No, so. this was a 100% <laughs> effective campaign. Everyone believed it until the movie came out. <laughs> Everyone did. There was a, a website. This is one of the first movies that got the internet involved. Where they started seeding the internet with facts as if it were real. There was this documentary. It wasn't until the movie actually premiered that people figured it out. Because so like IMDb, the proto IMDb at the time, listed the actors as missing, assumed dead. And that part of their contract was that they could not go out in public for X number of months after the movie was filmed. And it like they went out of their way and it was very, very effective. <laughs> Even the actors thought that the Blair Witch thing was real. Like, they, of course, they knew that what they were filming was a movie, but... They didn't know that the actual myth of the Blair Witch wasn't a real myth. I wish they had done a real myth, but I get why they didn't. Because if they had, it would have been easy to find out that it wasn't real. Yeah. But it would have been, I don't know. It would have been interesting if they had somehow found a... Because you know there are towns that have local legends. Yes. I mean... Every school I've ever worked at, there's been a rumor that a kid died on campus and right. haunts but not, the campus. Not as robust as this is, because when they talk about in the curse of the Blair Witch, kind of that they just sort of brush over in this one and not there all the pieces don't necessarily connect in the actual movie. So this goes more in depth. They talk about the timeline and exactly what happens when, and there's a lot of stuff to reinforce this myth, whereas most local myths don't have that much content. I should say that a lot of this stuff was originally going to be part of the movie and they decided to strip all of the footage that wasn't from the kids from the actual theatrical release. And that's why they turned it into this 45 minute or so documentary that they put on sci-fi before it came out. But the reason I brought it up mm -hmm. is because in the documentary about them as if they were real people, I mean, they are real people, but you know what I mean, the characters... Uh -huh. And they were like, oh, yeah, those two were just best friends. But he also describes them as polar opposites, which they are. And they get very quickly, they get very frustrated with each other and they do not enjoy each other's company, which leads me to question, why would they have agreed to have made a film together like this? I, it's so baffling to me that you didn't have a relationship like this in real life. I had one very similar to this relationship. The backstory of these characters is that they did actually used to date. It didn't work out, but they remained friends. My senior year of high school, my best friend was my ex-girlfriend. And you could ask anyone that was in our class. You can look in our yearbooks. That people even comment on it how much we argued, like constantly. 
but we were best friends. We would, we had our second period together. I didn't have a first period. She would ditch her first period and we'd go to school together and we'd show up and we'd be arguing coming into class. And the teacher would have to be like children, like, you know, like absolutely had a relationship like this. As a matter of fact, they had to cut a lot of footage from this that made it seem like Mike and Josh were ganging up on her. So they had to take out a lot of Josh yelling Being at her. Being a total asshole. Until later when things escalate. Let me go ahead and at just At first say it's just this. Mike is the antagonist. Yeah, let me go ahead and just say this here. Heather is annoying as fuck. Yes. Josh turns into an absolute asshole for no reason and then just stays that way. Yeah. Mike is an extremely wishy-washy character. You like him, you don't like him. You like him, you hate him. You don't like him, you like him, you don't like him. He He's dies. all over the place. He is. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. It's, yeah, it, like, these characters are not <laughs> enjoyable to watch. So the main character is Heather. It's her film. She's doing this as a thesis for film school. And Josh, who is her friend, ex-boyfriend, is doing this with her. He is the camera operator. He took a black and white fancy camera, actual film camera from his work and is going to return it before they get back. And the implication is that he's done this before. Yeah. They probably film their own shit all the time. Okay, he specifically says he's only worked with this particular camera once. Once, yes. Okay, so I understand not understanding exactly how to use the, the mechanics of the camera. But I'm not talking about that. Oh, yeah, you're saying he's not a great... He's a terrible cinematographer. I mean, like, he's really awful at it. Sure. But <laughs> you know how many film school students there are out there that think they're hot shit and really don't know Jack? I guess. Like, that's almost the definition of a film school student. I guess. And then there's Mike, who's the audio engineer, who goes along with them. So Heather, she's the director, writer of the documentary. She's the host. Josh is the cameraman. And Mike is the sound engineer. And Mike seems to just be fantastic at his job. Never a problem with the sound. Never. Yes. Just constantly... Perfect. He's Josh's friend, but Heather has never met him before. Yeah, and these people really do exist. The, they, You meet them, and they, you would never guess it, and then you find out that they're into tech stuff. It's funny. Yeah, well, one of my, uh, one of my friends, I mean, I say friends, but acquaintances, I guess you could say, is a boom mic operator. Really? Aaron, the, the guy that I was just talking about the other day. Yes, he's a he's a boom operator, which is I mean, a, a, it's basically what Josh is doing. He's in charge of the sound for movies. Yes. And TV shows. I think he was doing a TV show recently. I can't remember what show it was. That's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah these are real people that work on these projects. <laughs> but a lot of their job is just this, right? No, 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 no. That's what they're doing in the moment, but they're monitoring all the levels and making sure they capture it right, and yeah, they're they're doing something while it's happening, yes. But they do have to have strong arms. Yes. They hang, they hold them up for a very long time. Yeah. Which we never see him do. No, I think the mics are on the cameras. He's just taking the levels and all of that stuff. He has all the recording equipment, and because that's the DAT machine that they talk about, that's the sound. That's recorded separately it's not recorded directly to the film and they never explain how they got that across the river did they they talk about carrying it across they the talk river. about it 
They we don't just, show we it. They just never show Well, because they didn't film a lot of it because they needed to be careful carrying all that equipment across the river. All right. Let's get started here. Okay. okay. So she does an introduction where she explains that the town of Burkittsville was originally called Blair. A bunch of children died in the 40s. And there is some sort of legend about it. I have to say, I thought they renamed it to Burkittsville after these kids died in the 40s as like a PR thing. No, it was changed. It it was never officially Blair. It was a settlement that was called Blair. But there was a dude named Burkitt who was a developer and I think a friend of this Blair fellow who actually founded a town called it Burkittsville. So it was originally a settlement called Blair, then a town called Burkittsville, and it's been that way since the 1800s. According to the documentary thing we watched, the town was actually called Blair. Uh Uh-huh. Then it got abandoned after what happened at Coffin Rock. Uh Uh-huh. Then it was like these people found it again. Right. They developed it, that guy named Burkett. Burkett, yes. So but that's what I'm saying. Like, I thought it was a recent thing because they didn't want people coming around because of the, you know, you know how that sometimes that happens. Yes, but no. Then uh, they're interviewing some people in the town, which they didn't know worked for the director. Yeah, that's the legend that they thought they were interviewing actual townspeople that the directors had set up. Again, they believed that the Blair Witch was a real thing, like a real myth. They didn't know that these were also actors hired by the directors and writers. Mm-hmm. And one of these people tells them, actually, yes, there is a documentary about the Blair Witch. It was covered in some documentary about Maryland and its legends. So I saw a documentary on the Discovery Channel or somewhere. Really? Once about her, about the ghosts and legends of Maryland. They get explained to by these townsfolk that in the 40s, seven children went missing. And then they heard from, they actually never told you this, but one of the kids survived. I found that out through the documentary that we watched because they don't say this in the movie. Yes. What they do say is that this man, Mr. Parr, he was a hermit, came down from the mountain and said, I'm finally finished in the fall or winter of 1940. And when the cops went up to his cabin, they found seven dead kids. And then what we hear is, He'd bring them down into the basement in twos. One would stand in the corner while he killed the other. Then he'd kill the one in the corner. And he'd make them turn into the corner because he couldn't stand the eyes watching him. So this is the story of Mr. Parr. And if you're watching just the movie, you might wonder, like, okay, what does this have to do with the Blair Witch? Yes. Yes, you would. Very much so. Okay, so two things. Number one, what it has to do with the Blair Witch, we find out in The Curse of Blair Witch is that he claimed to be hearing the voice of the Blair Witch, who was telling him to do this stuff. And we also hear that there was a survivor. That's how we know what he did. But he also completely confessed and told the story and was completely willing to tell details, except for how the markings on the wall happened. I want to make it clear that you just said... That he told them to turn into the wall because he couldn't stand their eyes on him. Yes. Well, there's a bigger hole here. There's a reason why that hole exists. Okay. Kelsey's point is, is if that he was telling them to turn to the corner because he couldn't stand them looking at him, then why is it that the Blair Witch does this Mm -hmm. later on in the movie? Yes. The reason is 
is that they thought that that was the creepiest ending of the five endings that they filmed. They went back and filmed this interview clip and inserted it into the movie after the fact. This was a reshoot. It wasn't originally part of their plan. That's why there's a plot hole here. It's not a plot hole. It could be that he felt that way, but he was being influenced by the Blair Witch or because they wind up in his cabin, you know, so maybe his spirit's still there because they hanged him, you know, it could be a lot of explanation, but yes, it's flimsy because it was an afterthought. I'd like to point out to anybody out there who's questioning right now if Chris was correct when he said hanged. He is correct. We looked it up. Yeah. Hanged versus hung. The only difference is that people are hanged. In case you <laughs> didn't know. So matter of fact. The only difference is the person being hanged. <laughs> no big deal. You hang a picture. No, a picture was hung on the wall. A person was hanged from the gallows. What else do we hear? You find out that they say that the woods are haunted. And if you want to hear more about that, you should go and talk to Crazy Mary Brown. So they go and talk to Crazy Mary Brown. What happened to Mary Brown? She says that as a kid. Now, all of a sudden, I felt like something was near me. Right. You know, kind of an eerie feeling. It, it was like a woman. Only on her arm and on her hands and everything. It was like here, like a... Real dark, almost black hair. Uh-huh. Like like a like fur. Yeah, like a fur, like horse fur. Then her arms, she had like a shawl, right? Wool shawl over her. And she scared you. She threatened and, you. And um, she didn't say anything, but she just kept staring. And then right. she opened up her shawl. And what was under there? And under it, there was hair on her body, like a. So horse. she was hairy from head to toe. Yeah, it's and her her. Legs and you could see right. she about was her a face? female, with just kind of like strange looking. And, and this is where I wrote down: if this was an actual documentary, it would be god awful. Yes, because the quality. Yes. Yeah. No, I think they're 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 guerrilla independent documentarians, Kelsey. Uh, anyway, this no, woman students. I I'm. Saying what they think they are. I know. I'm saying no. They're students. Is yeah. What they are. <laughs> this woman is Patricia Decoe, who also helped them in the art department. I don't know if she made the stick figures or something like that, but she was the only person to respond to posters that the directors put up at a college in the area. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. This is also where I wrote down. So this is that night. Okay, so they would go. They go and they do all their their interviews and they think it went really well <laughs> and literally all i wrote down was she's already irritating me <laughs> <laughs> yeah she even says that she just wants to i want to avoid cheese like like she's some super highfalutin important filmmaker or whatever and you know what if you're a film student you can be a great filmmaker i'm not trying to discount that but we see the segments that she's trying to host, and it is super cheesy. Yes, she gets very. like host voice and host posture, and it's just like it's really very affected. And like, she's very dramatic. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, I know exactly the type of person you are. You're annoying. Yes, <laughs> but also just like in the in the in the room, she's just annoying. But they're dicks to her from the get go too. How so? 
I don't, I don't know. They're all irritating. I don't like any of them. I kind of like Mike. They all kind of suck. <laughs> so the next morning when they're in the car, Josh talks about how he fucked up the focus because he was looking at the meters and thinking that they were feet. And that's why that Mary Brown footage was so bad. But okay, it was going to be a bad documentary either way. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> but apparently that's real because they were actually filming all this stuff. He did have the focus fucked up for that scene. Also, reportedly, that's one of the reasons why they hired Josh in the first place was because he had experience using a camera and they wanted whoever was using the film camera to have experience. That's really funny. And yet he fucked up that footage. And so they included this scene to explain why that footage wasn't as good. I love it. (laughs) That's fun. So they come across some fishermen fishing at a local river. And what do these fishermen say? They talk about a little girl named Robin Weaver who wandered into the woods and got lost. Three days later, she reappears and says that she saw an old woman whose feet never touched the ground. Now, they don't put these two together in the movie, but we do find out in the curse documentary what these two things have to do with each other. There's Robin Weaver from the 1800s, and then the dude starts telling the story about Coffin Rock. Oh, yes. 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 They do not explain how any of this is connected. Yeah, I mean, Mr. I mean, Parr, how is that connected? This little girl who sees the the woman floating and now this Coffin Rock story that we're about to hear. I'll tell you right now, like, I'm not a fucking moron. I can link it all together in my head, and I always have. Okay, Chris and I just watched that documentary, and it explains all of this. And I'm like, would have loved to have that in yeah. the film. But, of course, when I saw it in the movie, I just kind of strung it all together, and I was like, okay. Yeah. you just like, it just kind of rolls over you, and you don't think about it. It's a haunted yeah. place, and creepy shit happens. That's all you need to gather from. But none of it makes sense. So. And during the film, I was just sitting there like, I, I remember as a kid just being like, I don't know why any of this matters, but okay. (laughs) So he tells the story of Coffin Rock, where five men were found bound to each other. The hands were tied to the next man's feet, and they were laid out in a particular pattern. And their intestines had been torn out, and unintelligible writing had been scratched on their faces. And where they were tied up, there were a lot of cuts and and, uh, burns as if they were still alive when all this stuff happened to them. And the people that found them went back to the town to get the cops. And when they came back, the place was devoid of any dead bodies or gore. What this has to do with anything. These five men who were killed at Coffin Rock were looking for Robin Weaver, this little girl who said she found somebody floating. That old woman who was floating off the ground took her to a cabin or something like that, took her to the basement, said, I'll be right back and left. Several hours passed and the girl got scared and she went back home. In the meantime, while this floating woman had left the cabin and left Robin Weaver in the basement, she was going back and killing these five men who were part of this search party looking for Robin Weaver because her parents were freaked out that they didn't know where she was and that she got lost in the woods. The people who found these five men were a part of another search party looking for these men who never came back as part of the original search party. So all of these things are actually connected. And that woman who was floating, who supposedly killed these men at Coffin Rock and who abducted this little girl, but the girl escaped before she could be killed. 
that's the Blair Witch. And we learn even, like, her name and everything later. And these two fishermen, one of them is talking about it very, like, eh, it's all bullshit. Yeah. The other one's like, it's not. And he's like, yes, it is. What are you talking about? And he goes, I tell you, I saw right up there by that tree, up the creek. I told you that. Right, I know. About 100 yards. I saw a white, nifty thing that I can't tell what it is. It was like a gray, like gray vapor rising out of the trees. Right out of the water. Right out of the water. Up the, the side of the tree, and it disappeared over them. Now okay. you're full of it. Now I'm not full of it. So now I was you, drinking now, that now, I drank How is that related that? to the story of Coffin Rock? Yeah, it all ties into the story of Coffin Rock. How's that? I mean, anybody worth their salt around here knows that this area has been haunted by that old woman for Oh, years. that's bullshit. And he talks about it with reverence. The problem is, why then would you go fishing out here? Right. Now, because this is home. This is where you're used to doing it. And yeah. But there is a theory, and apparently the filmmakers even considered it but decided against it, that these two men are the ones fucking with them in the woods. (laughs) There's also another theory that we'll get into later. Which is interesting. Now, as they're driving, they pass by a cabin, the famous cabin that you see in, I don't know, I always picture a cabin when I think about this movie, even though I think that's the only image of a cabin that we get. I mean, I know they go into the cabin at the end. This isn't the same cabin. It's not? No. Okay. This is just, if you if you go down these like wooded paths and, oh, and, and stuff like that, you'll find cabins like this all the time. Yes. And it's so fucking creepy. But real people live there. They really own cabins. Sometimes they just leave it out there and they go out there on weekends or whatever. Like these are real things. As a, as a Boy Scout, we would go hiking in the woods all the time. And yes, these cabins just exist. Yes. And they're creepy as fuck. Yes. I have friends who like to go in there and take pictures. Of these abandoned cabins. Ah. <laughs> they end up going to Coffin Rock and filming, telling the story about what happened to these men, basically reiterating the story that the fisherman told actually on Coffin Rock where it supposedly happened. And being super dramatic about yes. it again. Ugh. And that night it rains. They are camping overnight. This is their first night and they hear noises. Somebody says... Was it could have been could it have been an owl? And I think it's Mike or somebody that was like it could have been, but there was also a cackling noise. It was Josh? Yeah, Josh. Okay. Josh is the only one who woke up and heard it, and yeah, he said it was a there was a cackle because Mike said if I ever heard a cackle out here, I'd shit my pants. Yeah. So the next day, they are going to a place called Cemetery Trail. They get lost on their way, and they fight about being lost. This will be a recurring motif throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you know what part of the movie you're at? <laughs> well, I kept copious notes. That's, That's why. Mike makes the point that, like, okay, Heather, I'm putting my trust in you because I can't read the map, and you're claiming you can. I don't actually trust you but I'm forced to because I don't have any other choice. And this is going to be a plot thread that goes throughout the movie that Heather's the only one who knows what she's doing when it comes to navigation, and they will continue to get lost. And it sucks that she's the only one because then it all gets put on her shoulders. And that's why everyone gets really mad at her and really wicked and vicious to her throughout this movie. 
But when in fact it's not actually her fault. Right, but they don't know that. Right. You know, if if you were in a scenario where you were hiking in the woods and the one person in charge of of knowing where you're going and what you're doing gets you lost, are you going to go, oh, it's the witch? Or are you going to think this person got you lost? In my opinion, if you're going to go out and stay in the woods and you don't know how to read a map, that's you. That's on you. Interesting. That's not a bad point to make. So they end up finding these piles of rocks. There are seven of them. And they're like, what did Mary say about piles of rocks? It's like, I don't know. I wasn't listening to her. She was crazy. Yeah, we didn't get that. <laughs> so we didn't know either. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she talked about this thing, but we weren't taping no. it. So the audience doesn't get to remember what we also forgot. Now, cool. since so we just get to look at these rocks and I'm supposed to be scared. I'm not because it's again, rocks. But again, the seven kids were killed by Mr. Parr, who was taking commands from the Blair Witch. So theoretically, we can assume that these were put out there to represent either these seven kids or seven kids in the past who were also sacrificed. Because this is this is going to be a recurring event that happens every 50 to 60 years, which is very... Oh, like it. Yes. Very like it. Now, a lot of the stuff is just them walking around, realizing they're lost, arguing about being lost. We're not going to talk about that shit. We're going to hit the main points. So we are already at night two. There's another motif that you forgot to talk about. There's the map. What's the other thing they're going to yell at her about all the time? That she will refuse to stop doing because if oh, she did, we right. wouldn't have a movie. Filming. <laughs> Now, part of it is they are filming a documentary, but when you're just walking through the woods, you don't need to be filming everything. But they do have conversations about how much actual film they have, which is a lot. They end up recovering like 11 cans of film, and that's just the black and white footage. But they also have batteries enough to power a small nation or something like that. So they do talk about that. One of the complaints is that, oh, how much battery life do they have on these cameras? They address it in the movie. It's just a hand wave away comment, but it is brought up in the movie before anything happens. They did think about that. They have tons and tons of batteries with them. Yes. But anyway, night two. But if she didn't do that, we wouldn't have a movie. Right. <laughs> so instead, we just get to listen to them yell at her for it. Yep. So night two. Why don't you just yell at your audience and tell them to stop watching your movie? How about that? <laughs> No, Stop that's not what they're me. saying. I don't like being filmed, and you're the audience being like, I guess I shouldn't watch this. No, not at all. You're thinking about their relationship and what Heather's doing and what her motives are, and she's obsessively documenting this. We find out later because it's all she has, which is such a stupid excuse. She doesn't know what <laughs> else to say. This movie was mostly ad-libbed, and when it, that happens, you come out with shit like that. But... <laughs> Yes, she is obsessively documenting it because it's something for her to focus on and to do, and because this is her thesis project. So she's documenting everything. Anyway, night two, they talk about Gilligan's Island and how Josh is the captain guy, but he's too skinny, and that makes Mike the Gilligan, and he's like, you heathens need to stop calling him the captain and start calling him the skipper. <laughs> <laughs> the captain. Well, okay, let's call it a thin captain. Let's not call it the captain anymore, you illiterate TV people. It's the skipper. They go. So you kind of like Mike. He has these cute little things yes. about him. Yes, Mike is very likable. But then he does asshole things. But most of the time, keyword most, 
it's reasonable when he gets upset. Yeah, no, I don't. You don't hate him like you hate Josh, which is so funny because when you first I meet Josh. I never really hated Josh. What? I never really hated Josh. He becomes like a villain. Well, yeah, when they're lost in the woods to for like six days. Degree. I don't. He starts getting nuts as time goes on because they haven't eaten. They've been walking for days and he should have been back. He's supposed to be at work. He's supposed to return the camera and he blames all this on Heather. And you know what? It's not unreasonable to do so because the only alternative is that the woods are haunted and they're being fucked with by a witch, which of course he's not going to accept that as an explanation. Anyway, that night they go back to the rocks to gather more footage, but they also, while they're in the tent, they start to hear crackling sounds in the woods. These sounds were made by the directors and their friends all around the perimeter in every direction. So it sounds like it's coming from everywhere. They would break sticks and then they would toss them in, in, in different directions. You know what it sounds like on film? I've always thought this. What? I've always thought like- A really if, loud fire? <laughs> no, if I was in the woods, I'd just be like, it's animals. Like I wouldn't even think twice about it. The problem is, is that it's in every direction surrounding them. It's very loud and it's nonstop. It's they not just something walking that, around. But that's not what it sounds like. They say that. Ah. Uh, it doesn't sound like that. It just sounds like some cracks. I think you would be responding much differently if you were actually in the woods and these noises happened. <laughs> Knowing you. And, and, and as somebody who would literally go camping every other weekend, <laughs> I have a feeling how you would react and you wouldn't just write it off as animals. <laughs> anyway, but they can't explain it. They end up going to bed. I actually wrote down here so far the next day. Every time Mike gets annoyed so far, he seems reasonable. And it's re it starts out just as annoyance. Like, why are you filming me right now? Why do I have to do this? You never told me about this. And, you know, like that kind of stuff. It's like it every time it seems reasonable. So they get all the footage that they want to get. They don't plan to ever go to Parr's cabin. And they are headed back to the car. They got all the footage they want. Well, before they leave, they're having a conversation about what they should do or what they think is happening. And... I think it's Josh. Josh says, I think some locals are fucking with us. Mm-hmm. And. The fishermen, maybe? Yeah. I'm not going to mess with any crazy locals. Right. Even if it is just locals fucking with them, I don't want to mess with them. Right. <laughs> he goes, have you ever seen Deliverance? Yes. <laughs> there is the Deliverance line. It's Mike who says, yeah, I'm not messing with them either. And she goes, well, what if it's not locals? He's like, I'm not messing with that either. <laughs> if it's not See a local. What I'm saying? Mike seems reasonable yeah. when he gets upset. <laughs> if it's not a local, I don't want to go with the alternative. Uh, what do you think that was last night? Personally? Yeah. I think it was someone fucking with your head. But nobody knows we're out here. Yeah, but you ever see Deliverance? But do you understand at all where I was coming from? That I just wanted to get whatever it was. I didn't know. Josh woke out. me up. I was freaking out. I don't even. I was like... freaking out. I, I woke up all of a sudden and shit's going down. And all I all I can think is I gotta get it. I gotta get it all. I want it on. I want it on sound. I want it on sixteen. If, if anything, if we can see anything, I want to see it on sixteen. Well, it sounds to me like a bunch of people running around. And I'm not down with messing with locals or whatever. I don't know who the hell would come out here. What bugs me out is that we're so damn deep in the woods and people are gonna try and. 
and come out here and mess with us, then they got to have something wrong with them, and I'm not going to play with that. But how do we know it was people? Well, even if it wasn't, I'm not going to play with that either. Anyway, this is their third day of filming. After two nights, they're on their way back to the car. The guys start to worry that they're lost, but my question is, what would lost look like to you? <laughs> they're like, uh, you know, we're lost. Really? How do you know? Like, you haven't spent more time than you should have yet. But she explains to them, okay, we went this direction to get to Coffin Rock. We went this direction to get to the cemetery and the stones. And now we're going directly back to the car. That's why it doesn't look familiar to you guys. They're using a compass, which must not be working, but they have no reason to assume that. Yes, and it's the compass that makes it... I understand that they are very angry, they're tired, they're hungry, they're dirty. I, I get all that. They're scared, they're nervous. All that stuff is going to weigh on them. But it's just a basic fact. You have a compass. You're following the compass. If you decide to go in one direction... Obviously, if you don't get somewhere else, if mm -hmm. you wind up in the same place, then clearly something else is at hand here. But the only person but that knows how to read that compass is Heather, and they're relying on her to be good at that. I will point out now that Heather does bring along a book with her that she points out at the very beginning, which is called How to Stay Alive in the Woods. They never read this book. Not once. <laughs> anyway... So they don't make it back to the car, and they can't explain why, until it's finally night three, and Mike is talking about how, or it's Josh, one of the two, is talking about how they have to get the dat back tomorrow. Yeah, it's definitely Mike. Well, Josh might be talking about it, but yeah. it's Mike that has to return the dat. Because the dat has to be back on Monday. But before that night, you missed it, this is the first time that Mike starts screaming. Yeah, he's like, ah, because he's just so frustrated. He just screams into nothing. Yes, now. Not maniacal yet. Here's the thing. Do I believe that? Sure. I do believe that peop some people might do that. Scream out of frustration? Yes. Absolutely. 100%. I think a lot of people would do that. Yes. So, yes, people scream. I understand that. But that is all he will do. And I think that really shows him as a weak actor. A human being, a regular person... Yeah, they might just scream because they don't know what else to do. An actor has to find more creative ways to show frustration rather than just screaming into the wind. Because after I've seen it the first time, now I'm bored as an audience member. You need to do something more interesting, more character developing. I feel that's a little nitpicky. Okay. I don't know. I've seen people be frustrated before. I know, I know, but he's an actor and he needs what to find a better way. Him, what you're asking him to do then is to behave unlike a real person would behave in order to be an actor who's supposed to be impersonating the way a real person would behave. That doesn't make any sense. Did you find his performance interesting to watch? I felt it was realistic. And that's what his job is, is to make it realistic, not make it some Oscar-winning piece where he moves you to tears with his emotions. That's not his job. His job is to be a human being, an everyday average human, not some tour-de-force performance. Because most people don't behave in a tour-de-fence performance in their real life. That's my point. You're expecting too much out of people who are just supposed to be just fucking people. Does that make sense? I don't understand why we have actors then. Well, because actors... 
have different jobs depending on the vehicle that they're in. And sometimes in a movie like Schindler's List, their job is to move you emotionally. You will deviate from realism in order to move people emotionally. Do you think that the guy that Ben Kingsley played actually gave some stirring speech to Oscar Schindler about how important his list is? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because Schindler's List's job is to move you emotionally about a real topic, but the actors are not supposed to be as realistic as possible. In this movie, they are. So you think realism is more important than... No, I think I think that if your job is to seem like this is a real documentary with real found footage, abandon everything that would be unrealistic. For this movie, yes, behave realistically. Do not give me a tour de force performance. Schindler's List, by all means, move me emotionally. That's your job there. Well, this job was to scare me, and I can certainly tell you that it didn't. Okay, that's fair. So, it's night three, they're arguing about the dat, they hear more noises. According to Heather, they sound like the same fucking thing, in her words. They all get up to record the noises, and this is where they say it sounds like it's on all sides. And eventually, they hear what sound like footsteps. When they wake up in the morning, they see three piles of rocks outside their tent, and they can't find the map. Heather thinks Josh lost it because she remembers that he was the last one to, to to have it when they were last doing a map check, but he swears that he gave her back the map. This is also the time when Josh starts getting silly and just lays down and giggles a little bit. Mike also starts laughing deliriously when they're trying to cross a creek and Heather soaks her shoes and they laugh at her and she feels like they're picking on her. Josh joins in on the humor and Mike explains that Listen, they're just going a little stir crazy. It's their fourth day out here. They should have been home yesterday. Later on this day, after Mike continues to laugh when Josh and Heather are arguing, he admits through his laughter. You know what? <laughs> I kicked the. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's fucked up. It's fucked up, but I, I kicked that fucking <laughs> into the creek yesterday. <laughs> it was useless. I kicked that fucker into the creek. <laughs> I fucking hope he's kidding. This is a point of contention for lots of people regarding this movie. What did you think about this? Now or the first time? Let's start with the first time. The first time I <laughs> I remember being enraged. I remember just being like I mean, I, I had figured out at that point in the film that obviously the map wasn't going to help them anymore anyway, but just what a dick thing to do, you know, this time around, because I thought you found out right away. I haven't seen this movie. It's later on that day. Forever. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and when I do see it, I see clips of it. So, yeah, I didn't realize that he waits a while before admitting what he did. Yeah. And fascinatingly, Josh is accusing Heather of having lost the map. He's being really quiet, which is not, which wasn't like Mike, especially at this point. Like I said, we had already been started hearing him screaming. He wasn't normally quiet, and he's being real quiet. And all of a sudden, he says, "Are you sure? Are you sure, sure you don't you don't have it, Heather?" Yeah. 
Like, I can't believe he was willing to put it on Heather. Right. Like, that makes me so much more angry. Because knowing that he had gotten rid of the map and having and having watched it from the very beginning to this time around, it was like, okay, I kind of see it. He's going a little bit crazy. But then, on top of that, seeing that he was willing to place the blame on Heather. Yeah. I can see why him going crazy would lead to him kicking the map in yes. the river. Yes. Yeah, like you say. But in the light of day, when he's calm again, letting her take the fall for it is a dick move. It's horrible. Yeah. At the same time, when he's like, are you sure, Heather, you don't have it? He then says, guys, I think we really need to work together here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you do, Mike. I'm yeah, sure you do. Exactly. So Heather flips out on him, justifiably so. Well. He tries to apologize. Let's make this clear. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> let's make this very, very clear here. Heather is just happy that she can now blame someone else. Yes. Well, I think because she's worried that she's supposed to be the responsible one. She knew they weren't going to get out of there. How, again, re-watching this as an adult and like, because I haven't seen this in so long. Heather knew way before they lost the map that she couldn't get them out. I saw it. I saw it in her performance. That's and interesting. Now that the map is gone and she has full responsibility taken off of her of the map being lost this yeah. is the most exciting moment for her oh it's like it's can, a relief right yes because yeah. uh-huh. now she can finally say it's all mike's fault well the whole movie so far she's been trying to deflect things that the other guys are complaining about and make it but like she everything's never okay had any justification well she never had any justification to be angry at anyone else yes exactly and now she gets to be yes and now she doesn't have to worry about defending the project or their situation or herself to anyone now she gets to be mad all the blame is on mike she is very very happy about that but josh is also pissed at mike and they fight a little bit and heather screams and she's shrieking which that will be for the rest of the film yeah her shrieking is is a little much but this is also the day that they find the stick figures and they are all over the place apparently I forgot that it took so long for them to see the sticks. Like, that's all I remembered. Yeah, it's after they're already lost and supposed to have been home. Way later. Yeah. Apparently, Heather takes one of them, and this is this is what causes all the problems, sort of. Those stick figures are supposed to be a warning, and her fucking with the figures, and because one of the stick figures was removed, this is why what happens to Josh later happens. Why would that be a warning, though? I Because it's a fun thing to say when you're talking about a spooky witch following you. I, I, I think it's kind of dumb. Oh, it's a theory. This is not no, something. I think it's what the director said about but it. But that doesn't make any sense because why She's would... luring them, right? Yes, they can't get out of... They're trying to get out. What do you mean warning? They're not trying to go further into yeah. the forest. I think you're right. I think that's a very good point. But they're all over the place. At one point after they leave, Heather says, I think it's safe to say at this point that we're lost. I think it is, because now night four starts. They decide this night they're not going to light a campfire or use lights because 
maybe that's how whoever's finding them is finding them. That doesn't prevent weird things from happening to them because in the middle of the night, they start to hear the sounds of children in the woods. This was actually boomboxes in the middle of the woods playing sounds of kids playing or screaming at one point. It's just sounds of children, which is always really creepy. And then their tent starts physically shaking. Someone is right outside their tent. They freak out and they run out of the tent. This is a famous clip. Hurry up! I'm coming! My boots are at least. Oh my god, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? We never see what it is. But I wrote down, what the fuck is that? We'll never know. Right. right. I, I so remember that, like, being in the movie theater, I was like, are you serious? There's nothing, and then there's nothing at the end. There's just nothing. There's nothing to be afraid of in this movie. I I don't know what everyone's problem with that is. I literally don't. The I, whole point of the movie is that what you are afraid of is scarier than what's actually there. That's the whole fucking point of the movie and its format. And people are like, I want to see it. Yeah, no shit you want to see it because you want to feel better about what's there. We talked about that episode of Doug where he was more scared of the monster before he saw it. And then he saw it and then it's not scary anymore. That's the whole point. <laughs> That's the whole point. <laughs> But anyway, it wasn't intentional in this case. I can't believe they didn't go back and reshoot it. She really did see something there that she wasn't expecting to see. It was one of the directors in a white jumpsuit or something like that in the middle of the woods. So all she saw was just this white human figure. And whoever was filming at that moment was just running away from the tent being shaken and never turned to look at what it was. So we never see it. But it reinforced this idea that not knowing might be scarier than actually showing it. So they decided not to reshoot it. Anyway, this was supposed to be the time where you actually saw the Blair Witch. So when they go back to their tent in daylight after they wait out there for hours... Everything is trashed, and one of the packs is missing. It's Josh's. There are new stick figures and some slime on some of Josh's stuff. This is where they really start to get upset at Heather for not stopping filming. And at one point, Mike tries to physically take the camera from her. And this is also where Josh really starts to lose it. And he just falls into the grass, and he just lays there for a while. And Heather's like, we got to get going. And Mike's trying to convince her, just let him have this time. He needs a moment to unwind. Once they're back up and moving forward again, they talk about how they're lost. And Heather's like, we can't possibly be lost. We head long enough in one direction. We'll find civilization. This is America. We've destroyed most of our natural resources. And Mike starts screaming, America the beautiful. You know, we have to I know. rationally say they, they, might, they might very well go on forever compared to our footsteps. Not, not possible. Not possible in this country. Not, not possible. possible. Because oh, this is America and it's not possible. We've destroyed America, most of our natural resources. Let's just keep going. God, your grace on me. At one point, 
Mike started screaming help into the wilderness. Yes. Uh-huh. Like, it just, it. there's a lot of screaming in this movie. There is. They wind up at the same log. Even this is that moment, yeah. Heather refuses to admit that it's the same log. But she does eventually admit it because, well, it's impossible. We left from this log earlier today and now we're back there. And they this is when Josh becomes just an absolute dickhead and oh yeah and you don't care that he dies anymore because he just goes off the deep end and apparently going off the deep end for this person means just becoming an all-out asshole so what he's doing is he's grabbing the camera and he's starting to like ask her antagonizing questions okay here's your motivation you're lost you're angry in the wood and no one here is here to help you there's a fucking witch and she keeps leaving shit outside your door there's no one here to help you she left little trinkets you fucking took one of them she ran after us there's no one here to help you we walked for 15 hours today we ended up in the same place there's no one here to help you that's your motivation that's your motivation He's relentless, even to the point where Mike is like, come on. But he won't stop. And this is when she screams, it's all I fucking have left, okay? Come on, man. You got her back. Good one. No, she's still making movies, man. That's my point. Please stop. This is my point here. It's all I fucking have left, okay? Just please stop. Please stop. Just please stop yelling at me, please. Please stop. And it's like, And he doesn't stop. No, he doesn't. But it's all I have left, okay? What a piss poor excuse that is. That's something a girl would say. That's I, right. totally something. A girl I believe would say. that is something a girl would say when she doesn't actually know how to defend herself and she doesn't want to change her behavior. She doesn't want to. St- she could just easily stop, but she doesn't, and she doesn't know why. So because all she we comes need up a with movie. exactly. So all she comes, all she can come up with is. It's all Stop I fucking have. Yelling left. at the person that's giving us the entertainment. <laughs> what is happening here? I think that's fine. I think it's fine because the the her having the camera on all the time is the reason why we have it. But it's also reasonable to expect that the other characters in that situation would be pissed off at her for it. It you know people always always say it's hanging a lantern on it is what it is in found footage movies. Why on earth would they be filming it, right? That the audience always says that. Oh, they, like in Cloverfield. Yeah. The audience was so mad. Why would he keep filming it? Which to me seemed ridiculous. If a fucking alien you invaded, would... I would totally film it. <laughs> yep. Completely. Uh-huh. But anyway, like, but you know what? Not a single person said it in the film. You want to know why? Because if they did, it would be insulting the audience. No, Kelsey, why? I don't... Why are you watching this movie? This is the movie saying, no, we're bringing it up. We are acknowledging just like the audience would that it's weird that she keeps recording because if we don't, the audience is gonna and they're think they're gonna think that it's a bad premise and we're bad filmmakers. So we're instead, we're going to hang a lantern on it. We're going to bring it up in the movie and she's going to be forced to defend herself about it. Well, you don't like the reason that she gave. I don't, because I think she gave a bad reason, but that's the character, not the filmmakers. Anyway, it's night five. They're sleeping in the same place they slept the night before, and they're really weirded out by it. And they end up having a conversation about all the food that they love, because they are all very, very hungry. I think they do hear some noises, but nothing major happens. In the morning, Josh is gone. And they don't know where he is. They call out to him. No response. They look for him for a while until they decide they need to keep moving and hopefully they'll come across Josh. 
They decide to head east. Why do they decide to head east? He asks her, which side did the Wicked Witch come from? He asks which was worse. I didn't realize that's what he asked. This is why I wrote this down specifically because there's a discrepancy. Then they decide to head east because the Wicked Witch of the West was the bad one. Well, South didn't work. Which Wicked Witch was worse? The Wicked Witch of the East or the Wicked Witch of the West? The Wicked Witch of the West was the bad one. Let's go east. But they were both bad. Yes. But the answer to Mike's question is West. Because the bad guy of that movie, the one he's thinking of, is the Wicked Witch of the West. The Wicked Witch of the East is the one who gets the house fallen on her. Yes. So the worse one is the Wicked Witch of the West yes. in Mike's mind. And so that's why they head east. Yes. But their conclusion that they say is the Wicked Witch of the West was the bad one. And that's not accurate. Anyway, they continue on. They find nothing. Night six, they hear Josh shouting in the woods. And thank God for subtitles, because I can tell you right now, I remember a lot of these night conversations are done in full blackness, and the audio is not great. So without being able to see what the people are saying mm -hmm. and equa equating that with the sounds that I'm hearing, a lot of those pitch black scenes, I, I was just like, I can't understand what they're saying. Yeah. And this scene especially, I never knew... That they heard Josh screaming in the background. I never understood why. They do mention they... it, but it's in their conversation, and I can see why you would miss that. And I was just like, I don't know why they're running. Like, I, I guess I hear something. I don't know what that sound is. So they told Josh, the actual human being, Josh, that it was on this night after everyone goes to sleep, get up and leave without waking them. And then they found him and, and collected him. They had asked him to record his screaming, which they did with him, and then they played a recording of his screaming. That's why they can't agree where the sound is coming from, because it's just like the kids, the sounds of the kids, and just like the twig snapping, it's literally coming from all directions. They shout for a while, they look for him for a while, but at some point it ends, because cut to the morning. When they wake up, Heather finds a one of those stick bundles Tied up with a piece of Josh's torn shirt. She's freaked out by it. And she throws it away from the tent. They're starting to really lose it. And they end up having cigarettes that Mike found at the bottom of his backpack. Once they're done, Heather unties the sticks to find blood, teeth, and hair. Those are real teeth provided by a local Maryland dentist. <laughs> well, that's great. Because I can tell you right now, you can barely tell. Because the camera, in the fashion of the entire film, is yeah. constantly moving. And I'm just like, it kind of looks like teeth. Well, I think more importantly than that, it implies something. Yes. And, and they do it as well. And it needs to be believable that this isn't framed like a movie. It's framed like kids who are out of their minds. And they just found the blood, hair, and teeth of one of their friends who went missing. I'm just, I, I, the realism didn't work for me. And so you look into this and you see that there's something bloody, there's something gory, and she's freaking out and not knowing is worse than knowing until eventually you, she does reveal that it's his teeth. Is that teeth? She asks. And she can't tell. So what harm is, the, is it in the audience not being able to tell either? 
at this point, they start walking again, and Mike is the one that's filming. It's at this point that I stopped believing that they would still be recording anything. Up to this point, I believed it. At this point, now Mike has the camera and he's recording? Fucking why? He talks about how he's most upset about not getting to see Cal Ripken become king. That's his, basically, yeah. Cal Ripken's attendance record. I wrote down, who's Cal Ripken? Cal Ripken is a baseball player. <laughs> And I he, figured he was something with sports. He played a lot of games in a row. That's his claim to fame. Oh, he was a great player, but he just never missed a game. 2,130 games. One more season and Cal Ripken is king. Cal Ripken is king. And I will get to see it. It's all me in the woods. And he was about to hit that record, and Mike would never see it. So and night seven. here comes the famous scene. Yes. The seventh night, she turns the camera on her, and she has no idea what it looks like. She was supposed to frame her whole face and didn't. And they're like, well, we get to see up in her snot and her tears and everything, and it's very effective. And let me tell you, you might put your head in your hands now, but at the time, that scene was everywhere because everyone was talking about it. Be as, oh God, this is so bad, as, as much as you want, because in 1999, it blew everyone the fuck away. Except for 11-year-old me. <laughs> <laughs> it's... My brother, okay, as mad as you're getting, like, my brother was so furious at me and my mom for not thinking it was this wonder, this... Oh my god, piece of film. What I'm telling you is that it worked. You recognize, I recognize that it didn't work on you. I don't care. I mean, I care because I want you to enjoy the movies. But it doesn't bother me that it didn't work on you. What bothers me is that you refuse to admit that it worked on anybody else. Oh no, I get that it worked on other people. I don't know why or how. So that seems like a deficiency in you. <laughs> Not I in guess. the public, because I it worked I'm fine on, with that. If there, if, I'm fine with me saying, okay, I got a deficiency because I don't understand. It why worked on, on everyone else, and you don't know why. It doesn't mean the movie's bad. It means you don't understand. And so you getting mad at the movie for that seems weird to me. It just, it's becoming more and more crystal to me that it really bothered me that they did not try to structure it like a film. Yeah, it doesn't have like, what you would normally expect out of a movie. I never thought about that because I've always thought of that as the unique part of it, the interesting part of it, the part of it that made it different and exciting. Uh -huh. You know, I've never really sat down and considered why I hate it. I just always thought it's a stupid movie about people being afraid of sticks. But like thinking about it, yeah, I think it's, I think it's the structure. I think it's the lack of... Okay, today I want to make sure that you have this kind of conversation so that yes. we get can we have certain elements that turn this into a film. So they do, but not enough. Not they, nearly. They enough. were given in their supplies that they would get every day. They would wake up and there would be like crates with stuff in it so they could eat and <laughs> and it would include directions on what they were supposed to film today, where they were supposed to go, and what conversations they were supposed to have. And so they would have that. But <laughs> They were more concerned with making it realistic than making it structured like a film. 
And, and I think that they just needed a hint of structure. Just a fucking hint of it. There's because no... it's kind of a roller coaster ride of nighttime scary thing happens, daytime they yell, yell at, at each, each other. other. <laughs> <laughs> nighttime scary but... stuff happens, daytime yell at each other. Yeah, just back and forth, back and forth. It's just yeah. interesting that this doesn't seem to bother you. What movie did we watch? Where they were screaming all the time and it really bothered you. Oh, I'm sure there's plenty. And I know film structure will often bother me if your pacing is off or whatever. But this, I think, falls on the on the side of patience. It's trusting in the audience to put up with the movie because it's interesting. You didn't find it interesting. And so you had a hard time putting up with it. And that's fine. It's not going to hit 100% of all people all the time. It, nothing will. But I don't think that makes the movie bad because, again, nothing will. I think this movie is putting faith in the audience. Those people that do find it interesting will not be bored. And it's it's playing to them. And it's not going to change the movie to play to the people who aren't going to find it interesting because you already don't find it interesting. Why would it try to cater to you and potentially lose the people that do find it interesting? Well, they were right because they made lots and lots of money. Oh, yeah. And we'll talk about that. So we have this scene where she says, among other things, I just want to apologize to Josh's mom and Mike's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry for everything that has happened. I insisted on everything. Everything had to be my way. And this is where we've ended up. I love you, mom and dad. I am so sorry. I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them. Oh, God, I'm going to die out here. Later on in the night, they hear more yelling. It's Josh. We hear words, actually. Somebody please. I had that written down, too. I never would have known that he said that if I hadn't read the the words. And then they find the house. This is Parr's cabin that is destroyed because it was burned down after they convicted Parr, but before they killed him. Mike goes in hoping to find Josh. And Heather follows him scared. The instructions that Mike was given were to run up and down the house, upstairs, downstairs, run around, looking for Josh, and try to stay as far in front of Heather as possible. Did it require him to constantly scream? You don't think you would scream out for your friend when you think he's in there? I think her screaming is more annoying, and I don't think it helped that we watched five different endings of this movie <laughs> that had literally the same soundtrack of screams. So I can see why that would be annoying over time. <laughs> But in the moment, with this movie coming out, this is the climax, and everyone's like, oh my god, what's going to happen in this house? And I'll tell you right now, you're never going to know. You know enough, <laughs> as, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so he goes into the house, hoping to find Josh. Heather follows him. Thinking about going inside this house, it would be so fucking creepy. If you just found this house in the middle of the woods, even if you're not in the circumstances that they're in. It would be so incredibly creepy going into this house in the middle of the night. Kelsey had a problem with Mike screaming out for Josh. She probably also had a problem with, because I know I did, Heather's screaming. <laughs> oh, Heather's screaming is far worse. But in the movie theater, if you're engaged, if the movie is working on you, you're not thinking about that. You are just, you're not just as terrified, but you can, you can relate to that terror. And, and it, it escalates that terror for you as well. And if it's not working on you, I can see why it would just be annoying. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember if my mom made it in to see the end. 
Or did she just wait for you outside? She had to leave the theater. It was so bad. She waited a long time, but then she finally, she had to leave. And I can't remember if she made it back in for the end or not. I don't remember if I sat there by myself. I just remember thinking, this is so dumb. <laughs> uh-huh. Mike specifically was given instructions, run around the house, up and down the stairs, looking for Josh and calling out his name and trying to stay as far ahead of Heather as he possibly could. So whenever she caught up, he would head the other direction and go downstairs really fast. And we see that in the movie. He's frantically looking for Josh is what that looks like. But what it actually is, is he's trying to evade Heather. Well, I'll I'll say this. He played that very naturally. Mm -hmm. It did... It, it obvi- I knew what was happening. Obviously, I could tell they're yeah. trying to separate the two for what's going to happen. But, like, I, it felt really natural. He even says when she finds him upstairs, when we hear him scream again, and to us, it could be coming from anywhere. But Mike says, I hear him downstairs, and he runs downstairs after she meets him upstairs. Yes. I'm going upstairs. You're not... Where is he? Where are you? Come on, Josh. I'm getting downstairs. Come on, I hear him downstairs. Come on, Josh. He's going downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> so. What happens, this is the famous thing everyone knows, is we see from his camera's perspective, he runs downstairs and all of a sudden the camera falls to the ground. We hear a thud and the camera falls to the ground. What was actually happening was the two directors stopped him, grabbed the camera and guided it to the ground to make it look like it fell, but it actually didn't. And then they got him in position and they hid. And then Heather makes it downstairs, screaming for him sees him standing in the corner, freaks out, and then they do the same thing to her. And then that is the end of the movie. Now, a lot of other movies have done this before, and I've given them shit for ending at the climax. It's the only place for this movie to end, though. Yeah. Due to the nature of what it is, it doesn't have any other option. And it doesn't give you a lot of answers. But what we do know is that Mr. Parr, who is influenced by the witch, supposedly, but if you watch the movie, you might not know. You just have to infer (laughs) that everything weird that happens is because of the Blair Witch. He made them stand in the corner while he killed one of them. And then he killed the other one. Now they go down there and somebody's standing in the corner and then the camera drops. We know exactly what happened. Heather was killed. And then Mike was killed. We know that's what happened. And since everything here is because of the Blair Witch, we know this is because of the Blair Witch. What other questions do you want answered? Why? You're right. There is no answer to that. Because the Blair Witch haunts the place and she's evil. But why? Why is anything evil? Why is the devil Tim Curry in Legend, why is he so evil? He is evil and he has goals, just like the witch is evil and she has goals. But if you ask why, there is no answer. Her goal is to kill these kids. But why? Why does the devil want what he wants in legend? Why does any malevolent figure want anything? 
just because they're he malevolent. He wants power. He wants to reign over the earth. Why? He can do whatever he wants where he is. Why does he need power over the earth? Okay, that... It's just something I pulled randomly out of my ass. If you can't, if you can't understand the motivation of power, then you don't... She doesn't have that! Okay, you know that there are real people in the world who kill just to kill, right? There's no reason. These people actually exist. Now we have a malevolent force that is just evil, and suddenly you have a problem with that concept? Again, it's a movie. So is everything we talk to, about on this show. are supposed to have motivations. Yeah, and the whole point of this movie is that it was completely subversive. It was something new, and it was something different, and it wasn't just another movie. I know, and I'm coming to discover that this is why I hate it. <laughs> what made it unique and interesting and fresh is, is why I don't you like it. it. I think that that is a good summary of your feelings on that, and I think it's completely reasonable. Credits play over eerie wind noises and some echoing banging sounds. Nondescript. There was also some letters in the house, like markings on the wall. Yeah. They ask about this in the documentary, which we're going to talk about in a second. They ask Parr if he wrote that. All he says is no. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. And then somebody asks him, did you write them? And he says no. It's... Parts of the Hebraic and the Futhark alphabets. Their runes is what they are. Like the source of these alphabets. Like the class Hermione takes in her last, and in her second to last. Runes? Yes. Yes. So the Hebraic runes is what became ancient Hebrew. The Futhark runes are what became a bunch of the European languages. So let's talk about the Curse of the Blair Witch real quick. I'm just going to run through my stuff here and then we'll do a lightning round for the movie. This separate documentary called The Curse of the Blair Witch ran on sci-fi two weeks before the movie came out. It was just an advertisement for the movie. Hey, if this intrigues you, go see the movie. In many ways, this satisfies an itch I've had that Hell House did not and neither did this movie. Being presented as if it was actually a fucking documentary. Get those interviews in there. They should be the bulk of the content. Because that's what real documentaries are about. The reason the writer-director combo made this movie the way they did is because they were watching some documentary and they thought just hearing about it was creepier than any of the modern horror movies of the time. And yet, they did not make one that actually looked like a documentary. Yeah. And so they took all that footage that they actually shot originally for this movie and decided they were just going to make it found footage and only found footage and made it this sort of fake documentary that's just an advertisement. But it satisfied so much of the things that I was looking for in both of the movies that we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> so it's a lot of experts and relatives and friends and things like that talking about these kids going missing, but also all of the Blair Witch lore going back to the very beginning and all the multiple instances. And it really threads through all these concepts it's supplemental material but in a way that helps you understand stuff that the movie just was like i don't care if you understand we hear from heather and josh's college film teacher heather's best friend heather's grandfather josh's girlfriend mike's brother the sheriff who found the car as well as did the investigation later a search party volunteer somebody who i think his name was lucan johnson a witch 
and the host of a 1971 show called Mystic Occurrences, which was about witchcraft. I say a 1971 show, the footage looks like it was part of this show called Mystical Occurrences from 1971. Not that they got the host of this show to come back later and answer questions. They just took clips from this supposedly real show. We also hear from a professor of folklore, the town historian, the anthropologist who found the bags, which is a really important part of the story that the movie never tells you, and a private investigator that even this doesn't tell you was hired by Heather's family, I think. Mm -hmm. We find out that the witch's name is Ellie Kedward, and that when kids started going missing, she was blamed, even though they never could prove it. And she was run out of town in a harsh winter and thought to have died. That's the source of the Blair Witch. And there's your reason right there. It's a Maleficent reason. She's angry because she's excluded. She was kicked out of the town. And she wants to get revenge on these people. Oh, oh, that's right. All this history that the movie didn't tell us. Exactly, exactly. We find out that the footage she was recording, the documentary she was recording, was actually for her thesis project, and that the teacher feels bad because he didn't recognize in her thesis proposal that she was planning on going out to the woods and filming there. He would have told her not to. I wrote down that I appreciate it uses a bunch of extra media that's not just clips from the movie. It does include some clips, but sparingly. And it includes a bunch of extra footage that's supposedly recorded from, like, when Mr. Parr was arrested and other scenes, uh, books that they found, drawings, and, like, a bunch of extra stuff that was not included in the movie. Most things that did this would use footage directly from the movie to feed most of this B-roll, and it would be really annoying. It makes it feel more believable as a documentary with all the real interviews in it, more so than Hell House. I'll tell you now, I liked Hell House, but I did have problems with it. This one does a better job at those things I had problems with. However, the news clips, on the other hand, do not look real. <laughs> when you get the news hosts talking and it's like, oh, this doesn't look real at all. No. The search party member that we hear is frustrated with the sheriff not doing anything but he just dismisses her. Then we find out why she's kind of nutty about the evil in the woods. And she believed that Ellie is always nearby and she chooses her time to appear. And it's like, oh, no wonder the sheriff didn't listen to her. Uh, it's also odd that they use clips from a crucible like movie from 1960, a real movie called the city of the dead. Mm -hmm. When the production company is named Hexen films after a movie we've talked about on the show. Yes. Why one, wouldn't they just include footage of Hexen? They knew about it. Because that doesn't have English. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. They could only use pictures. We get more in-depth history of the Blair Witch legend, like I say. They find a book called The Blair Witch Cult from 1809 that supposedly is filled with fake first-hand accounts. Like, in the lore of this universe, it's not real. But the people at the time believed it was, and that's what fueled a lot of this mythology about sacrifices and evil and stuff like that. We also learn the connecting story of Coffin Rock, which I talk about. We learn that all these events they point out are 50 to 60 years apart from each other, which, as Kelsey pointed out, stolen straight from it. <laughs> we see video of Mr. Parr in jail, 
We hear his excuse in court was that he was hearing commands from an old lady ghost. He claims, like I say, he wasn't the one who wrote on the walls of the cabin. We also see photographs and video of them having recovered the cameras and the canisters of film. They were found during an anthropological dig. They were buried under ash and other soil of the burned house in such a way that they couldn't have been buried there after the house was burned. Yeah, specifically it's under like a a wall, a stone wall that was in perfect condition. So it couldn't have been dismantled and put back together. The only way it could be under there is if it was under there before the house was burned and all the soil settled and everything like that. A news story says that the case was reclosed. It was reopened when they found the film footage because the film was found to be, quote, inconclusive, after which I wrote, LOL, that's the movie we got, and that's why everyone's pissed off. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You admit that it's inconclusive. Yes. No wonder people are upset. So that is Curse of the Blair Witch. I have a few lightning round items. I teased that there was another theory as to what really happened. Some people think that Josh and Mike, having been friends separately from Heather, were planning on murdering Heather, and this is how they did it. So they're just two psychopaths? Well, again, according to the original plan for the script, Josh and Heather were supposed to be exes. And apparently there was a diary that was found that they never talk about. It's Heather's diary, and it talks about the long history that they have. It talks about the tension that they have with each other. So he is tired of Heather, and he decides to kill her, and he enlists Mike's help. I'm not saying it's a good theory, but it's based on stuff, things that the movie was originally planned to include, but didn't end up doing. They returned the camera that they used for a refund, Afterwards, <laughs> one of the reasons that they kept the cost so low, the official budget for this movie was $60,000. The film made $248 million. <laughs> Getting in the Guinness Book of World Records for top budget to box office ratio for a mainstream feature film. I mean, good for them. Every, it's a good thing. It is. Every dollar they spent made $10,931 back. And that's great! It is. It also held the record for the top-grossing independent movie of all time until 2002, when that was won by My Big Fat Greek Wedding. It didn't have as low a budget, so it didn't actually make as much money, but its box office income was higher, and it was an independent film. Artisan Entertainment, which is credited as the as the distributors, their name is on everything. They bought the distribution rights after seeing it at Sundance, where it was one of the midnight films that they show at Sundance, for $1.1 million. That's the distribution rights. They didn't own the movie, but they own the distribution rights. So if it's ever seen or shown, you got to get Artisan's permission. And finally, there were four alternate endings that I mentioned, and they are all really, really close to each other. But if you didn't like seeing... Mike, with his back turned to the corner, you also get to see him with his back turned and facing the corner, but there's a bunch of stick figures around him. <laughs> yeah, him first, turned around facing her. The one that he just said with the sticks, that's the first one they show you, and I was so mad. I was like, did we just watch the end of the movie again? And Chris had to point out, no, the sticks are there, and I was like, oh, the sticks! <laughs> the sticks! There's also another ending, the second 
alternate ending is with him in the same position. He's just turned around and facing her. So if you wanted to see him facing her, you get that and that Which, ending. Which, in my opinion, is actually the creepiest of the shots. But it makes the implication all kinds of, what's he waiting for? Yeah, is he it asks doing more this? Questions. What's going on? But again, if they went back and recorded that interview where they explained the kids would be faced in the corner, they could have explained away anything there, too. Yes. Uh, the third alternate ending is him being hanged from a rope, just like Parr was. And the final one is, and Kelsey's going to have comments on this, it's him levitating off the ground, also with a bunch of those stick figures. So, like, he's one of the stick figures. Yes, and the way that they positioned him, he looks like he's not really there. Like, he looks like a puppet. It's weird, and you can't tell what's going on. Yeah, if that if they had chosen that for the ending, I would have been like, oh, my God. It's yes. like they turned him into a puppet. Like, he does not look like he's levitating. Right. That is not the effect that would have gone over everybody. He looks like sync in that music. Yes! Yes. Yes. So that said, Kelsey, what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I know. I know because we left the iTunes screen up <laughs> as we were recording <laughs> and it straight up just said it. What is the Rotten Tomato score? It's an 87. Full of creepy campfire scares, Mock Doc, the Blair Witch Project, keeps audiences in the dark about its titular villain, proving... Once more, that imagination can be as scary as anything on screen. For some people it can, for others it can't. It's just the way the world works. It's Metacritic is actually, so this is the average of the scores. It's Metacritic is actually 81, but it's cinema score is a C plus, which means a lot of people came out of that theater pissed off that it ended that way. Good. <laughs> Look, I don't need it the entire film, but I do need at least one shot. If I had gotten that one shot of her in the woods, maybe. Okay, I can see that. It was also why it was a big deal when Todd McFarlane came out with his like horror movie villains line or movie monsters line or whatever it was that they had the Blair Witch because she's never seen in the movie. So it was a big deal that the first time she was revealed was as an action figure from Todd McFarlane. <laughs> also at 87, it has the highest score on Rotten Tomatoes of any film that was also nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Picture. There were a lot of people that, just like you, were baffled by how successful it was <laughs> and how it worked on people. No! And thought it was bad. I get why it scares other people. It just does not work on me. I don't know if it'll make you feel any better, but Heather was also nominated for Worst Actress. And it's not just at the Razzies, too. There are other bad film awards that come out. It has an 87 on Rotten Tomatoes and was also nominated for a Razzie. So what it did, people didn't think, and you, you get this from Kelsey and I, people didn't think it was okay. They either loved it or they hated it. It averaged 81 on Metacritic. 87% of critics that talked about this movie had a positive review, which is great. But it was also considered by many critics to be one of the worst movies of the year. <laughs> so it's just very, very divisive. That is the nature of this movie. Do you think... That it is overrated or underrated. I certainly think it's overrated. What would you give it? 
I would probably give it 71. Sounds a little like a compromise score. After all this conversation, like you're giving it a 71 because you recognize that it worked on people, which we've done that in the past. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just asking you to confirm. Is that the case? I This movie gets so many points for the one thing that I think really makes me hate it. It's realism? Or no. it's focus on realism? It's, yeah, it's dedication to, it's, it's like they sat down, they said, we are going to make a guerrilla film. In a way that people just don't make these movies. And that's really impressive. And they did a lot to get that done. Mm -hmm. I mean, people make improv movies. People make found footage movies. And they have long before this movie came out. But they just did not make them in this way. Yeah. And that's cool. <laughs> and I love that the actors did it. I love that they had to be on at all times, you know? Like, I obviously, they could turn the camera off whenever they fucking felt like it. But, like, right. you know what I mean? Like, that takes a lot of dedication. And I do understand that it terrifies people. I think it's stupid. <laughs> See, that's the thing. It doesn't terrify me, but it grabs me every time <laughs> every time but i'm giving it a 71 because i think it deserves it i'm going to give it are you terrified what i'm gonna give it no i'm gonna give it an 85 okay that's fine i don't i mean 81 metacritic 87 rotten tomatoes i think those are pretty spot on i'm gonna give it an 85 myself not only just for what it did and it did a lot of bad things too Jason Bloom from Bloomhouse said no to this movie. And then he would produce Paranormal Activity. <laughs> well, he made tons of money off that, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so you Two can see how this just changed the industry. Just, I don't. For best or worst, <laughs> for good or ill, it changed the industry. It did. And... I think it needs to be recognized for that. Yes, and that's yeah. why I'm giving it a 71. Uh-huh, totally. All right, Jesus. That's a lot of talk about the Blair Witch Project. Uh, it'll probably end up in the edit to be longer than the movie actually is, but that happens sometimes, you know? There's a lot to talk about with the Blair Witch Project. So before we move on, Kelsey, horror trivia. Psycho was the first American film to show what? <laughs> a flushing toilet. It doesn't even say flushing, it just says... No, you'd seen toilets. It's the act of flushing on screen that was toilet. the problem. <laughs> anyway, Kelsey? Yeah? What is the sequel to the Blair Witch Project called? Book of Shadows! <laughs> Here's the thing. There are two sequels to this movie. Yeah. There is Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, and just Blair Witch. And Blair Witch, the better sequel... Which we will talk about sometime. We'll see. We'll watch it. It just completely negates the fact that the second one ever happened. I remember when it came out baffling me. Why on earth they would make a sequel to this movie that had such an impact in the way it did that wasn't a found footage film. It was just a movie. I think I've seen the movie twice. Yeah. Once when it first came out and all I remembered... All I remembered was, I hate the goth girl. Uh-huh. 
But I want her outfit <laughs> so bad. I wanted her outfit. Oh, my God. I just remember them dancing in the pages of their script that they tore apart. Well, the second time, I think we saw it together uh-huh. with Nate and all of them. And I I was like, oh, they're all on drugs. <laughs> I did not understand that. <laughs> but... It's it's not good, and it's like, in the universe, this footage that we saw was, it existed, but not as a movie, it really was found footage, and it was, like, why, why? Half of it, I understand their motivation, but why make it just a normal-ass movie? They're trying to give people like Kelsey what they wanted, and they ended up, in the process, making a real shitty movie. <laughs> Blair Witch, I think, was much better. You get to spend a lot more time in the Par House, which I wanted more of, and I got. Oh, you remember it? I do. I can't remember it. I just remember I liked it. We will watch it on the show sometime in the future, although Kelsey is committed to watching Book of Shadows first, even though Blair Witch pretends that it didn't happen. I can't do it. Oh, it's fine. I did it with Reanimator. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's a good point. Because we recommended to do that. That's a good, also a good point. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Moving on to our next movie. 2015's Hell House LLC. At first I was like, where's the comma? But apparently neither the comma nor the periods between LL and C are required. Ah. The movie was written and directed by Stephen Cognetti. Same guy. It's never good for Chris. <laughs> well, not never, but a lot of times when it is and the movie is awful, I can point to exactly why. It stars Gore Abrams, Ryan Jennifer Jones, Danny Bellini, Jared Hacker, and Adam Schneider as our five main characters. What is Hell House LLC about? A group of people who put on a haunted house every year in Queens, New York, have decided for whatever reason, because they certainly don't tell us, to move to a house in a nearby suburb of New York, basically, and they're going to turn that into their haunted house. It's a hotel. Yeah, a hotel. And don't come flying at me in the comments saying, in the movie, they do too explain why they moved there, because it sucked working in Queens. Yes, they say that. Yes. That does not explain why that's, they decided to take their entire business right. out of there. All that is, is that's Alex rationalizing to everyone else why it's better where they are now. But it does not explain why they moved in the first place. The movie very violently does not tell you. Yes. We'll get to that a little bit later. And and things go south. Yes. <laughs> whenever you don't know how to finish the summary, just things go south. That's, that's a piece of advice to everyone out there. The movie is free on Shutter, Prime, Popcorn Flicks, and Tubi. It's $3 to rent and $8 to $10 to buy on Microsoft Store, the Amazon Prime Store, where if, I guess you're not a subscriber, and Vudu. Who recommended this movie, Kelsey? Dad Wears Glasses. Dad Wears Glasses. We mentioned you in the last episode. Thank you very much. He recommended both films. I actually really enjoyed this movie. I did until the end. Do you think people should watch it? Yes, but don't be mad at me when the end sucks. There are a lot of problems with this, and I will not hold back. <laughs> but I did really enjoy the movie, 
I enjoyed the movie as a whole better than many of the parts, including the ending. I really enjoyed it. I think Chris said this earlier. It kind of suffers from that, that why is he constantly filming and his excuses for the website. The truth is he's just a creeper. That's all it is. He's a creeper and he likes to fucking well, film like, girls. No, but it's like Alex asks him to. I think Alex wants him recording. Because you're talking about Paul, the guy who's the cameraman for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he, he says it's for the website. Yeah. He tells Which people Which is a believable film. thing. Absolutely yeah. you want to have that stuff up on your website. But this movie also has those elements I was looking for that I didn't get from the original release of Blair Witch – and you don't get for most found footage movies. Like I wanted an actual documentary and this kind of gets there. They interview like two people and then one of the survivors. And that is it. It is. It would never fly as an actual documentary. You watch all those true crime documentaries on Netflix. I want something like that, but entirely fake and terrifying. Please give me that. It's not Hell House LLC. I will tell you that right now. But I did really like the movie. <laughs> Do you think that it's on the same level in that regard as Houses October Built? Um, Houses October Built is tough because the original film, not the one that's marketed as the movie, I think was was more believable. This is less believable. But again, that's like Blair Witch, where it's just the found footage pieced together. No, they put interviews. Right. But it's not like interviews people talking about after the fact, the horrible shit that Oh, you wanted, you want aftermath interviews? Yeah. Like, if somebody found all this footage, you're telling me they would just edit it together and release it and not have commentary about it? Are you kidding me? That's why I liked this movie, is because they're commenting on the actual horrific events that we're about to see and they're telling it like it is a documentary but again it would not fly as a real documentary there's not enough in the house's october built the documentary portion of it is like blair witch it's the reason they're there but it's not the reason that it's a movie i want the documentary to be the reason it's the movie i feel like both blair witch and house's october built are trying are trying to put you in the seat of the people that are watching the footage. Kind of like atrocious felt well, like I, it. I think you're the, sitting there watching it for the first time with the people who are watching it. I, I would say that makes sense, except it, it makes sense on Houses October built because I think his name was Mikey. Mike was editing the entire time as they were going along. But with Blair Witch, they found 11 canisters of film. And then they would have to sync it up to the sound. They'd have to they'd have to intersplice it with the footage from Heather's camera. Somebody had to do real, actual, stylistic editing work in order for that to be what the family saw. It was released to the family. They would have seen the whole thing. Then it was produced into this thing that we saw. And there's no reason for that to exist. If it's not a movie in this universe where they would be able to comment on the events. They wouldn't just release it with no commentary. And that's why I liked this one. But again, not quite as good. That's why I think Curse of the Blair Witch is kind of what I was looking for. And I'm glad it exists and I'm glad we saw it. But I'm also glad this movie exists and I'm glad I saw it. And like you, I think people should watch it. 
just yeah, don't blame us that there's parts that are kind of meh. <laughs> In any case, you can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 2015's Hell House LLC. What happened that night at the Abaddon Hotel? What is that? It's everything. Sarah, have you watched those? No. So you have no idea what's on them. How beautiful is this? Hell House. Wait, 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 look, wait, wait. There it is, there it is, there it is. There we go. What was that? I don't know. You have heard the rumors about this. There are no rumors about rumors this place. place. No rumors. We talked about this. It's supposed to be haunted. Hey, man. How many freaks do we have? Three freaks. Oh, it's gone. Are you sure? business being here. Alex is more confident than ever. I think we're next. Kelsey, why don't you get us started? What? How does Hell House LLC begin? We get another title card explaining that it's a documentary about a haunted house tour tragedy that happened in 2009. What you are about to see is a documentary on the mysterious events surrounding the 2009 Halloween haunted house tour tragedy. Just put in parentheses, you know the one. <laughs> My question is, if this was just a regular-ass documentary, why would it say this? It has an intro, like a found footage movie, where it's like, what follows is the footage that we found. Like, no, it's what follows is a documentary about it. Like, what what documentary announces itself by saying, what you're about to watch is a documentary about the thing that you chose to watch. So why am I telling you this? Because it's not a real thing that happened. You're mm -hmm. not sitting down to watch a real documentary about a real event. But again, I do like that it's an actual documentary with interviews. I say actual, but it's formatted like an actual documentary with interviews. Because who would just release raw footage with no commentary, right? <laughs> <laughs> and yes, we immediately get some interviews. All of the people they interviewed uh, right here just say, I don't know what happened. Yeah, and I don't think we're ever going to know. People people that were there are still saying, I don't know what happened. On October 8th, 2009, a Halloween haunted house opened its doors in Abaddon, New York, a small town just outside New York City in Rockland County. You couldn't think of a better, more believable fake name than Abaddon? Than Abaddon? Which is funny because uh, some of our friends used to have a cat that was named Abaddon. You want to tell our listeners what Abaddon means? Well, first, let's just talk about the fact that this was a giant black cat. He was huge. <laughs> it was really cool. But uh, Abaddon's like a demon of hell. He's the He He's guards the, the gateway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we immediately get some found footage of a YouTuber 
who was able to upload her video to YouTube before they could get their hands on the film. Which, this worked, I felt. It was very, it's an interesting way to introduce, you know, like, tease what we're about to see for the rest of the movie. Yes. Now, I had a problem with this. Chris was like, why wouldn't they want people to film it? Do YouTubers get to do full-on walkthroughs of haunted houses? Because why, if I've seen it, why would I want to go through it? Well, first of all, it's always on YouTube. Second of all, we went to the Halloween Horror Nights. They were on, doing videos about what was in there, but they weren't no, inside. They were taking the cameras through and were holding they? it up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As they're going through, well, well, first, it's really cute. She gets really excited when they get, I think we're next. And yeah. It's like, uh-huh. We know that feeling because we have waited in very long lines for haunted houses. Yes. So I totally understand that excitement that she has here. <laughs> As they're going through, they see a clown run through. Oh, do you want to say what you said about this haunted house? <laughs> Oh, As we're watching the walkthrough. It was kind of a broke-ass, <laughs> cheap-ass haunted house. Like there's, a, there's These a, people make their entire living off of this. Right, but you walk down a hall and it's just, you know, Rite-Aid giant fuzzy spiders in cheap-ass webbing. Just that's all there is in this hall. And it's like, what kind of destination... <laughs> Haunted House puts up decorations like this. Some of the stuff in here is really good. Some of the stuff that's like, you know, the the scene-stealing elements are pretty good. But some stuff, it's just filler, and it's almost like they didn't even try. <laughs> the interesting thing is, is that apparently, apparently, this is a real haunted house. It's in Pennsylvania. And you called it a jank-ass house! It's called... The Haunting at the Waldorf Hotel. You dick. <laughs> and it really is an old hotel that was taken over by this haunted house thing. It's just like in the movie. But I can I, I, I cannot confirm that. <laughs> I just think it's funny that, like, come on, guys. <laughs> you got to try harder than that. <laughs> but the woman who ran the hotel also worked on the design so yes it it is a real thing apparently (laughs) anyway so they're walking through and they're getting really excited they're almost to the end which is where the big final room is and they see a clown run by now the clown does not try to scare them or anything okay Mm -hmm. but i've been through so many of these The clown could be running to his spot in the house. Yes. The clown could simply, okay, well, you saw me. Why do I scare people who have already seen me? You scare people when you go around a corner. It's just weird that he's like head down. He's running out. He's not even looking at them. He's not even turning to them. But they act like it's so weird. No, they're like, like, is this part of the show? Like, they didn't know. I wouldn't even question it. And then immediately followed by a woman in civvies running by. Yes. So this is a real person running by. Now that, if I saw that happen, I'd be like, oh, shit. Something's going on. And that's when the guy with the camera says. Technical difficulties on opening night. Which is exactly what I would assume. Exactly. Yeah. And and I was paying so hard attention. Guys, if you watch this movie, you will not know what happened until the end. Yes. Do not get frustrated like I did, looking around like, what am I going to miss? What's here? Hey, but they do kind of show you what happens. Not in this clip. Not in this clip, but I mean in the movie. Unlike 
Blair oh, yeah. Witch. Absolutely. You do you see what happened. It's just that it's kind of dumb. It's really dumb. <laughs> but the point I'm making here is I was so mad. I was like, they're not gonna show us anything. And that's why. She's like, we didn't get down there. We didn't see what it was. Yeah, as they're headed down the stairs, everyone comes rushing back up and they gotta turn around and head out. But her phone is not confiscated. All other footage was apparently confiscated. And they talk about how we knew nothing but this video that was up on YouTube. Someone, we don't know who, released the 911 call. Yes. And then we get to hear the 911 call. 911, what's your emergency? Hello? Hello, I'm the old Abaddon Hotel. Can you please set the police? What's the problem, miss? I don't know. There's something I understand that there was a lot of chaos going on, and if you were in the middle of that chaos, you probably wouldn't understand what was going on without the knowledge that we had. But what we hear on the 911 call is not what happened. And you might get irritated by that, but I think that's much more natural. Yeah. If, the, if, this, if you were in the room when this shit went down, you probably would be spouting off bullshit too. So what does the 911 call say? She says something about the woman into the wall. And I wrote that down very specifically because I thought we were going to get her being sucked into a vortex into, right. into hell, yeah. which is not at all what happens. No. But she says, please hurry. I don't want to die. Which is interesting because... Who's when in you, a position to make this 911 call that feels that they're in immediate danger? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. When you see what happens, it's like, I can understand being scared and not understanding what's going to happen. Right. But you're in a big crowd of people and nobody's dying The right only now. person who was in danger is the person who was in danger. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Nobody else was. <laughs> no one else will come out and say anything. They took all the footage that was filmed and... There was like a gag order or something going on. It's another thing they talk about in Blair Witch is that there's a in the timeline of things that happen, there's a gag order preventing anybody from talking about anything. Yes. And this is when we meet the photographer. Yes. So there is a journalist photographer who decides we're not going to find out anything unless we actually go there. And so he shows up. There are just some windows boarded up that he tore down and he Climbed inside and he took photographs and the blood was still there. There were streaks on the ground. So cops just didn't go in and do a sweep. They didn't. The people who own it are gone and it's not going to be reopened. Why clean it? Just leave it the way it is and close it as a crime scene. And then they just leave it. It's not their concern. It's not their problem. All crime scenes just get left. Oh, well. Well, until they need to be cleaned up or the people responsible come in and clean it up themselves. But the people responsible don't exist. <laughs> so anyway, they leave it there. There's blood streaks. We'll find out exactly what they mean by the end of the movie. And he, he makes it to the stairway down to the basement. And he said, I did not go downstairs. <laughs> I put my hand down with my camera. I took a few pictures, which uh-huh. they show. And you can see there's blood on the walls. And he was like, I was not going to go down there. Like a smart person. Right. I probably would do the same. (laughs) It'd be creepy as hell. Yeah. Eventually, after we interview a couple other people. I mean. Actually, there's really only like two people. That's what's so upsetting. Uh Uh-huh. People acting like, oh, are you scared of a ghost? No. 
But I know that people died, and yes. I know that there was there's, never an, an explanation for and there's it. there's blood on the floor. So no, and, I'm not yeah, going down uh-huh, there. Totally. Why would anyone? But we get him, and we get the dude with the mustache, and we get a, f- a handful of people that are... We don't get enough interviewees. That's the problem. Yeah, because this is right when we get into the found footage. Right. And from so this on, we're basically only going to watch It's mostly that. found footage, and that's really disappointing. So we meet Sarah Havel who is a, as they call, describe her, a member of Hell House. She had been staying with family since this had happened. That's what she says. That's what she says. And that's why sh- nobody's been able to reach her. But she showed up and she's willing to give an interview. And she also has tapes. And they're like, what are these tapes? And she's like, well, everything at Hell House was recorded. So Sarah gives them the videotapes. And basically the rest of the movie is... It's just punctuated with the interviews from the other people every once in a while. And but they don't know anything, so... Exactly. All they're going to keep saying is, we don't know. But and then Sarah's she, going to be commenting on things happening. They occasionally yeah. cut back to Sarah, but Sarah doesn't have much to mm-hmm. say either. And it's like, oh, can we watch them now? Yeah, I guess we're going to watch hours and hours of footage because it's not pre-edited. Just We're just going to go through all these footage, through all this footage, and she's going to watch it with us. No, there are three people that are making this documentary. Yes. They give the tapes to one guy. Uh-huh. The other two stay in, and, and continue do the interview. to interview Sarah. Yeah, but the dude is there and he's watching. The, they're watching the videotape in the room. Are they? Yeah. And the dude is going through the video. The room. What is she commenting on? And how does the interviewer know what to ask her questions about? That's a good point. So anyway, I guess this is just the premise now. But now... So disappointing. It's just the raw footage edited together, and we get to go right to this cliche, and it's disappointing. But I say at least the documentary can make editorial changes. Like at one point, they show a screenshot of a silhouette, and then they'll like compare shots, and those are editorial changes, but they don't comment on it in the documentary. They just show the screenshot side by side and stuff like that. Anyway. Let's talk about the folks who created Hell House. Okay, you're going to have to lift, l- l- name the names because I can't. There were too many of them. How many were there? There were like five, five of them. Five of them. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard to remember because a lot of them, I mean, basically, you've got the girlfriend, Sarah. Sarah. You've got Paul. He's the filmmaker. Yeah. You've got Alex, the dickhead that's in charge of everything. Uh huh. That's Sarah's boyfriend. And then I could not possibly remember the then other two Tony guys. Then you got Tony and Mac. Tony and Mac. Okay. Tony, who looks kind of like Alex, except he doesn't have the beard. He's a little <laughs> bit skinnier. And Mac, who's the redhead dude. Okay. Who, by the way, is listed in the credits by the character's name Andrew McNamara. Not as Mac. Nobody calls him Andrew McNamara. They just call him Mac. He's listed in the credits uh, about 12 lines down. (laughs) If you're wondering who these people are and you didn't catch their names or whatever, the credits are not helping you. (laughs) So they had a haunted house in Queens, New York. They don't really explain why they moved. And it seems like a stupid decision. I can't imagine moving your product from New York City to... A tiny little suburb outside of it. Yeah, but they say it's 45 minutes outside of New York City. It's not that long a drive. This is him rationalizing why it's okay that they moved. But again, never explained why they moved. Yes, that's never explained. Again, they will have a conversation about, oh, so shitty in Queens. 
why? Like, they don't really tell you, like, what happened that made them move. And I know it's such a small, stupid, insignificant detail, but why not just give it? Mm -hmm. So they're looking around this house that he has bought, and apparently none of them have looked at it because they're like, whoa, what's all the markings on the wall? Oh, yeah, that was already there. Yeah. That's not creepier as fuck at all. But we're going to live here, too. Yeah. Wait, and But they complain about it. Live here? They do complain about it. Well, I mean, if you if you have a hotel and you're not going to use every room in the hotel to put on the show, why wouldn't you live there? That's I, it does not seem unreasonable to me. I don't know. They don't do anything to make it homey or anything. Like how many they movies? Live, they sleep on mattresses on the floor. Right. But like, how many movies have we talked about on this show? Like even Friday the 13th where they or Sleepaway Camp or what are the, all these ones that happen at camps where they just actually live at the camp? Like people do this. Why wouldn't you? I would not sleep there. It's gross, it's creepy, and I don't like it. I would not stay there. Anyway, and immediately things are starting to go wrong. They find that whenever somebody goes down into the basement, the walkie-talkies stop working. Yeah, they can't get a signal into the basement. They explain that away by saying that the walls are too thick, which makes sense. Except, run a cable, dickheads! Instead, they decide to put a bouncer in a clown outfit to just look like one of the dead bodies that's downstairs to protect the girl actor that they're actually going to put down there. She's going to be tied up and they're worried about people fucking with her. So they have a real human being. That's a good idea. But also run a cable like you have. That's why Sarah will have to run through the people because they can't communicate. It's like. I don't know a lot about running a a, a, a huge money-making haunted house, uh-huh. but I certainly know that you need to be able to communicate to the different right. people throughout the house. And they even have, like, glow-in-the-dark tape on the steps as, like, a liability issue so you can see where the steps are. So also seeing a cable run down there would be fine. Plus, you can make a cable look creepy. Yes, you absolutely can. So, like, it, it's this really seems like a non-issue. It's a really small hurdle to hop over, and they just refuse to do it, and it's it only feeds into the problems that they end up having. Well, exactly. I mean, it's the same, you know. Well, we can't have a movie if they don't make bad decisions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't have a signal. The keys! <laughs> it's just one of those elements. Yes. But yeah, so they're talking about, like, there's a lot of real devil shit. Like, there's books down there. There's Bibles. Like, it's really creepy. And for Alex, he's just like, I smell money. Right. I smell free props. I smell production value. Uh-huh. And it's like, yes, I see it from your perspective as well, but we also are going to be living here. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should be concerned. Anyway, this is when they, it's their first night, they're drinking. This is when they're going to talk about queens and they have a fun little conversation about this guy that used to work for them and it was supposed to be like the devil. Oh yeah, but he but had he, this thick accent. Yeah. People are like, yeah, welcome to Lucifer's cabin. Lucifer's cabin, yeah. people, people, go back to Lucifer. oh yeah. Oh my God, do you know what it was like? Oh man, we got so many like bad reviews on that. Dude, I had to fire that guy. He almost kicked my fucking ass. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry, we, we keep in touch. 
Fuck you! You can't touch me! I can't touch with that guy! That guy was an asshole! He's yeah. man. You, you buy drugs from him, don't you? Yeah, this is where the... Go on down to the hill. Uh, I, I can't do it. <laughs> can't do it. No, but he has like this New York accent. It's like, welcome he... everyone to the hell house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when they will have the conversation about, we need to have a bouncer down there. We'll dress him up as one of the clowns, which is immediately, okay, that was the clown that ran through. If he's supposed to be down there, something bad happened down there. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So the thing about the clowns downstairs is there are three dummies that are in clown outfits. And one of the problems that they have is that one of the dummies can't turn its head. None of them can. Well, the important one is that one of them. I don't know about none of them, but at least one of them can't. And so they just need to keep them looking straight forward. And that means that the person, the bouncer, just needs to just be looking straight forward, too. Otherwise, it'll be really obvious that the other two are dummies. But they do have a stand-in dummy clown down there in the meantime. But also, we're going to see this one of these dummies, the black and white clown. The one that they liked the most. Yeah. That they wanted to use as a mask, but they couldn't for some reason. Yeah, it's... I eh, Yeah. I don't remember. But we will see this dummy elsewhere. But it is just a mannequin. Yeah. And apparently they couldn't get it to stand up properly when it needed to stand up. So whenever you see this mannequin and it's just standing in the hallway or whatever, it's actually one of the actors in the outfit, in the mask. Oh, in real life, in it real life. stand up. Yes. Because I was going to say, they weren't scared of that when they saw no, it. No. <laughs> okay, so It's yeah, just so- a little... Production. It just really couldn't yeah. stand out, so uh-huh. they had to have a person. Have so every time person. they hit it, they were hitting a person. When it was just standing there, yeah. Because uh-huh. they hit it several times. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. They even hit it on the head a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> I'm it's just sure, a mannequin. <laughs> I'm sure they did that because it was oh, a yeah, friend. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. That night, Paul will film himself. What happens while he's filming himself? Somebody walks in his room. And it, it's him. kind of just a silhouette. Yeah, so he's looking at the camera. The camera is facing this body behind him. And he turns around and goes, whoa, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Can I help you? Like, do you need anything? Like, and then he it thinks just, it's one of his friends yeah, being a dick. Yeah, just turns around and walks away. And he's like, weirdo or whatever. Yeah. And then just doesn't think anything of it. Yes. So then the next morning... He So he's just going to film everything, and I think we said this earlier, their excuses, it's for the website. Yes. Why he's filming everything. Well, that's that's why when Alex is like, why are you filming this? You're making her nervous because we're going to meet some new actors. And then Paul is like, eh, it's for the website. Like, that's just his excuse to film this girl. Here, Paul will do an a- asshole thing, and he will film our main girl. She's sitting there in her underwear talking to Oh yeah, uh-huh. uh, Alex. Now, is it an asshole thing to do? Yes. Is it believable, though? True. Yeah. But also, you're the one that left the goddamn door open. Right. She's she's there with her ass open, and it's not like the door was just unlocked. Yeah. It was wide open. He just walked by and saw her ass hanging out. Yeah. Like, like and then they're so offended that he saw her, and it's like, yes, he pulled a dickhead move. Yeah. But, like, if you're going to be offended if somebody sees you in your underwear, close the fucking door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're going to do a cut here to some more interviews. Right. We're only going to get one tiny little thing here. Uh-huh. Where we learn about the guy in the clown suit. Joey. We learn that he refused to speak for, and then nine days later hanged himself. Yeah. There was that, which you'll understand why. And they talk about someone, but they don't say who. 
died of a self-inflicted throat cut. Yes. Which we will find out later who that is. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to meet the new actress. So there are, there are three And she's going to tell actors. them some information about the house. There, there are three new actors that show up. It's Melissa, who's the main actress, who's like the centerpiece of the whole entire show will be Melissa. There's Joey, who's going to be the bouncer character that apparently Alex just met at a gas station and didn't even know if he worked there or was just hanging out there. And he does this cool thing where he pops out his eye and then grabs it. That's actually the actor can do that. And he's like, don't do that, people. But apparently he can do it. And I think it's Sam or something like that, who's this like 40 year old blonde woman who is going to be be the host. Yes. Now We never hear anything from her. Yeah, we see her once. Uh-huh. Now, he's the way you talked about this character, you make it seem like he's going to be evil or what he does is fucked, but it's also something that tons of other people do. No, he's do. just an innocent guy yeah, who's scared. Yeah, like you're making him out to be like this asshole but that he met. At this <laughs> moment in the movie, they present it like <laughs> he's a wild card. He's an unknown quantity and you just hired some rando you found at a gas station? You didn't even know if he was working? They're confounded (laughs) that they would have hired this guy. We're going to rely on him protecting this woman. And we don't even know if we can trust him. But again, yes, absolutely. Yes. But what he ends up doing has nothing to do with that. Like he, he's not some sicko, crazy, creepy person. Okay. Yeah. He just, he did something that a lot of people probably would do. Now I have a note here because we do get people talking about, our main characters in these interviews like, oh, I think Alex was doing this and and this person was doing that. But my note is if nobody has talked, they make a point about how nobody's saying shit. This is brand new footage that we're seeing for the first time. And these interviewees have not seen. How do they know literally anything about these characters? Because most of them are dead, except for Sarah, who's been with family this entire time and hasn't spoken to anybody. How do they have any insight into who these characters are and what their behaviors were? They interview the reporter. They interview the, like, and well, these are people family. who- family. I'm sure they talk to the family and stuff. Maybe, but they don't fucking explain that. It's right. an inconsistency that makes me ask, how do you know any of this stuff? Because the movie itself made a point that we don't know anything. And as we're getting stuff revealed to us, it's being revealed to us through footage that none of these people have seen. So like, what comment are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. What are they well, there saying? are several points. I can't think of one specifically, and I didn't write down the actual fucking line. But they talk about Alex was desperate for cash, and da 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 da. Who knows that? The reporter. Oh, how? Do, oh, they they did the photographer reporting. They went and talked to their families. Here's what happened. But here's my point. Here's what. Here's my point. They set up Hell House. Everyone dies. Yeah. Except for the people who don't say a fucking word. Joey, Sarah, that's it. How would they know anything about what happens in that time period? Because the only people that know either aren't talking or are dead. Family and friends who don't know anything. Like, event one is they set up Hell House. Event two is there's the tragedy and everybody fucking dies and shuts up. There is no time in the middle of these two things where anyone who had any information could conceivably tell anybody anything. There's several days. There's days of them getting ready. There's days of them meeting the actors. There's days of them getting the actors ready. Like, so, so my there, point there's is, at least a week of time So here. my point is, 
Show us that. <laughs> Tell us who they're talking to. Tell us who their sources are. The Literally the only thing you tell us about people knowing anything talking is that the people that know anything aren't talking. So how do these people get their information? If you're going to say they have info, tell us how they got it. Because every other piece of information in your movie is expressing the fact that there's no way they could get this information. If you think that there is another way they could have gotten this information, put it in the fucking movie. I don't understand why you would even put in the movie that nobody's talking if once you reveal that people have information, you're not explaining how they got it. One or the other, explain how they got it or don't tell us that nobody's talking. It's really straightforward. In your opinion, what happened that night at the Abaddon Hotel? I don't know. You want to know what I think happened that night? I have no idea. So they're interviewing Melissa. And it's not really an interview so much as it's just explaining what she'll be doing in the story. Yeah, th this is in the footage that Paul was taking. Yes. And she will start to talk about the rumors about this place which we'll find out later are not actual rumors. No, they really fucking happened. But for her, it's like, there's a rumor about a guy who, and she said hung himself. Yeah. It's not correct. And that it's haunted and all this stuff. And Paul is looking at Alex like, what the fuck, Alex? Did you, you do any research about this place? Like, are you, are, did you know any of this stuff? And Alex just refutes it. He just tries to write it off as it's myth. It's, it's not just haunted. rumors. It's Nobody not actual themselves. confirmed. Except this it is, is confirmed. Yeah, that's <laughs> when they'll cut to the investigative reporter that Chris was talking about. And he's going to give us all the information about the house. Now, the implication is that Alex knew all of this and just didn't tell anybody. Or he didn't care. I think I think it's more like he doesn't want anything to come up that could ruin this. And so he's either ignoring it or suppressing it. One of those two things. But so this is when the investigative reporter will tell us all about the story of Andrew Tully. Andrew Tully ran the Abaddon Hotel. And then a little girl and her mom went missing. And... When they came to question him, he he had, because this was the last place that they had been seen, he had records of them having checked out. But nobody saw them after they went to the Abaddon Hotel. So everyone assumed that it was him. And then as a result, his business went under and he hanged himself inside the hotel. And we see actual photographs of him having hanged himself. Yes. I'm going to pause this here. Mm-hmm. Where does the cult come in again? Do we learn about that later? This is the thing. They don't really talk about a cult. The implication is, is that they disappeared because of, you know, like they were killed as part of a ritual. That was the rumor. And then it turns out that the rumor's true. But, but why would he kill himself? Right. This is my point. Meanwhile, we get a conversation between Alex and Paul. And Paul's talking about how bad how badly he wants to sleep with Melissa. And Alex is kind of just telling him, don't be an asshole, la 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 la. And then says Alex the asshole. <laughs> yeah. And then Paul says, Well, I love you too much for a lawsuit. And he starts to walk away, and Alex suddenly goes, Thank you. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, no, actually, fuck? literally, thank you. I didn't think yeah. about that. Please. <laughs> I don't want to get a lawsuit. <laughs> then that night. 
they hear a strange noise and they literally say, and it's the, it's three of the guys, three of them. I don't know who the fourth one is. I don't know who they, who the three are. It's obviously Paul and Alex, but somebody else too. And they hear noises and they literally say, I just heard a strange noise. I'm going to go investigate. I'm going to go investigate. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's like they said, fuck you to scream. Well, you all might of as them well go up. and investigate a strange noise. <laughs> You should never say who's there. Don't you watch scary movies? It's a death wish. You might as well just come out here to investigate a strange noise or something. It's all four of it's all four of the dudes are up, and somebody said, We all heard that noise. Where did it come from? And Tony's like, I didn't hear the noise. You woke me up because of the noise. Yes. And I so, woke up because of you. Yeah, exactly. And so they go investigating this noise. But nothing comes from it. They don't find anything. Right. Uh, so then we find out what the walkthrough is going to be, which we'd already seen through the f- original video, but now yeah. Alex is explaining what they're going to do. And this is so interesting, and this is really kind of like the selling point of the movie, is that the whole movie takes place inside a haunted house attraction that's off hours. And that's really interesting. <laughs> They talk about how they're going to have a crazy chef because they've got the kitchen. Right. So they're going to use that to have a chef guy who's probably... Wielding a cleaver or something. And yeah. Uh, they have a bartender because there's a bar. They're going to have the clowns downstairs. And when he gets up close to one of the things, he's singing the song from Baby Jane. Yes. I'm writing my letters to, to daddy. daddy. <laughs> <laughs> whatever that is. Yes, from whatever happened to Baby Jane. <laughs> It's Baby Jane's famous song. And this is when we'll get the first shot of the scary mannequin. Yes. Standing at the top of the stairs, staring down the stairs. And Paul is just like, hey, dude, or something. And Yeah, like, he it thinks it's Tony, I think. And, and the guy won't respond. And he's like, all right, weirdo. Which is exactly what he said earlier with the guy that came into his, his room. Uh-huh. And he turns away and he turns back. And it's looking at him. And again, he thinks it's one of his buddies. So, you know, whatever. And when he and when he heads back, he sees Mac, who was just reading. And now Tony's there talking to Mac. Yes. This and he's like, was, what the fuck? This was a great moment. He walks into the room and sees the person that he thought it was. And so he uh-huh. runs back. And, and it's he's, gone. He's just screaming, what the fuck? How did you get there? I'm going to catch you. Yeah. And but so. It's not there. So. Alex and Sarah, who are going for supplies, come back, and then he shows them all the footage, which is going to be a key thing that we're going to come back to in this movie. He shows them the footage, and they all see it, and they're like, oh, that's weird. And he's like, no, you guys don't fuck with me. What did you do? And they're like, no, you're fucking with us. And so both parties think the other is fucking with them. But there is no resolution. But here's the thing. It's absurd that Paul... Would not be more scared. Right. Because he thinks that they're fucking with him. I understand he's deluding himself by thinking that somebody did it to him. But obviously, he he figured it out on his own. How did you get from there to there? You couldn't have. And when he runs back, he's not there. Like, he should know logically that's not possible. I think you're right because he the argument he's trying to make is, you guys, I'm not fucking with you. This really did happen. So it's not so much that he thinks that they're fucking with him as is that he's frustrated that they don't believe him. 
Which means he should be more concerned. He should be more worried than he actually yes. is. Again, even if you want to delude yourself into saying that it must be one of them, you'd still be freaked out. Yeah. And he's not nearly scared enough, in my opinion. And this is when... So Sarah will start to do weird things. Yeah, it's the middle of the night and Mac and Paul are hearing noises. And we're going to say Paul's name a lot because he's the one that has the camera most of the time. Yes, which is funny because you don't see Paul very often. And then when he Except dies. When he talks to the camera. When Paul dies, I'm like, who's handling the camera now? I, I'm lost now. <laughs> I don't know who my cameraman is. So anyway, Mac and Paul find... Sarah, she's in one of the rooms near the basement, the stairs down to the basement, and she's just standing, staring into a corner like in Blair Witch and talking. But the the subtitles say she's speaking in a foreign language. She's not. They've it's just backmasked her speech. So you can tell even but the. Yeah, uh, like, the way it like, sounds. They didn't even try to cut that out. So if it's intelligible, I will put that here. If it's not, you know what? I'll still put it here and you can hear what we're talking about. <laughs> when I got to the front door, the police... Are you okay? We're arriving. Sarah, where is it? happy to be alive. They didn't ask me any questions or anything. They just pressed me out. And they say to her, you know, like, Sarah, what are you doing? And then she just kind of comes out of it. And she, like, starts freaking out and crying. And then Mac has to, like, hug her and hold her. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, I wrote that there was no resolution. Because we don't know what happens. <laughs> but she does freak out. And then, like, that's the end of this story is just her freaking out. Oh, no, they hear more noises. She's she's panicked. And this is when they're running through the place and the lights are all out. And I'm like, what's preventing you from turning on the lights? Like, why didn't you install more lights in this place? They use spotlights everywhere. But when they're running around in the dark and they're all freaked out, turn on the lights in the ceiling. Like, why? there's power to this place, right? Like, turn on the lights. Yeah, I don't know. Eventually, I think it's Paul. It has to be Paul because Paul's the one with the camera. Paul figures out that these rumors are true. And he talks to Alex about it. And he's like, Alex, what the fuck? You you didn't tell us. Like, this is wrong. And Alex, and he's like, I think that it would be wrong of you not to tell them. And Alex says, I'm thinking like a businessman. Mm -hmm. And all that matters to me is money. And if I tell them, that might get fucked. So I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. Which is super messed up. Yep. Super, super messed up. But I get it from his perspective because at this point, nothing to, nothing has happened to him. So it's like from his perspective, everyone is just getting scared. Yeah. But my opinion is you wouldn't just assume they're getting scared. They've been around this stuff. Right. They know what this stuff is like. But here's the thing. Alex becomes more and more sort of manic as time goes on. So I think part of this is it's a desperation. It's not a logical person assessing a situation and making a decision. It's him feeling like he has no other choice because everything is invested in this. Always. Yeah. It's all, all the money's wrapped up in the house. Can't leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a horror movie trope. Yes. Especially with haunted house stories. Yes, always. Mm -hmm. uh, except for Insidious. Insidious is the only one that didn't do Where it. Where they just get up and move. 
and then it continues. Insidious is great. Why haven't we covered Insidious on the show because yet? Because every time I want to do Insidious with a movie, somebody recommends the movie I wanted to put it with, and they recommend it with something else. That's happened twice. Anyway. They put Paul in a hallway so at, with the camera and the strobes so they can see what the effect looks like. And since it's a narrow hallway, not everyone can cram inside there, and they need the doors closed. So Paul goes in. He's recording. And then it's flashes, and Kelsey couldn't tell what was going on here. I couldn't tell, yeah. I was like, no, there's a silhouette there that wasn't there before. And she's like, which one? (laughs) And so he freaks out, and he panics, and the door's locked, and he can't get out. It's like, why would they have locked him in there? So that's part of the haunting, is that he gets locked in, but nobody comments on that. Yes. And eventually, he's like, they're like, why are you freaking out? Why are you freaking out? And the documentary shows us frames, comparisons, Frame comparisons where this is the shot that it's supposed to look like. This is the shot that has an extra body there just like staring at him. (laughs) And that's what he got freaked out about. But they never come back to anyone analyzing that footage. Yeah. Just like the first time when Paul recorded it and he showed everyone. I was like, okay, good. Now there's a recording and nobody looks at it. It's weird. Yeah, so and that, it's going to happen again. So that night, Paul is again filming himself talking about Sarah's speaking in tongues. She doesn't look good. I don't yeah. think we should be here. Yeah. <laughs> like, like all of a sudden, he's actually very concerned about Sarah. Except, um, what's weird about this shot, Kelsey? I don't know. There's a little girl sitting in this in the on the floor. Oh yes, I I wrote down holy fuck, and I didn't know why. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a person yes. sitting down on the floor with their back against the wall, yeah. and he doesn't know it because, again, he's facing towards the cor- corner looking into the camera, but the camera sees it. Oh, my God. Yes. So he gets under the covers like I totally would, and every time he looks under out from under the covers, she's a little bit closer, and like I, I was just like, stay under the covers. Stay. It's safe there. It's safe. And she I'm like, I'm telling you. her, I'm like, he's going to lift it and she's going to be right there. It's going to happen. But this was a moment that Kelsey was really freaking out about. The progression is he pulls the camera like we see her. He doesn't. He gets the camera because he's going to start recording and he sees her. He throws the sheets over himself. He opens it up. She's still sitting in the same place, but now she's looking at him. He closes it, and he's panicking. He's freaking out. He's hyperventilating. He looks, and she's a little bit closer, like she's on his knees, and she's crossed like halfway. And then he stays under the sheets, and for a long time, and the sheets move, and you think he's going to open it, but he hasn't yet, Till finally he does, and her face is like right there. And then there's a glitch in the camera, and, and he's attacked. And he's attacked. We hear him be attacked. But we don't see what actually happens to him. This is going to be a motif for the rest of the movie where things like camera phones just start glitching. For like, If it works for the movie, it stays <sighs> in the movie. It's so dumb. Yeah. When is the last time you recorded something with your phone and there was a visual glitch in it, let alone consistently? A very long time. I can't think but of But maybe once. they dropped their phone. And literally every camera and every phone. Because it just keeps happening. (laughs) Oh, I guess it's the demonic influence, but really? They're ruining the walkie-talkies. Really? No, they're not ruining the walkie-talkies. The signal can't get through the thick concrete. Oh, come on. That's the excuse that they give themselves. We all know it's because of the But it's an excuse that makes sense. Even in places where there is no signal to be had, it's just a camera recording to itself. It's not sending a signal anywhere. 
and it gets distorted into the cloud and maybe the cloud is dysfunctional (laughs) so dumb (laughs) anyway the next morning nobody knows where paul is and tony finds the camera and that's it now he grabs the camera and for the most part tony is recording now sometimes mac will record but here's the key they literally never look at the footage that paul recorded yeah Never. That's insane. They're like, where's Paul? He's gone. And they just assume he ran off and they never look at the last thing he recorded. Well, okay. This is when something very strange will happen. They're like, well, why didn't, did anybody fucking call him? Yes. So they call him. He answers the call and they hear. He's like screaming. Screaming. Mm Mm-hmm. I have so many issues with this. And they just assume that this is Paul fucking with them. Okay, I don't give a fuck about what they think. Mm-hmm. Okay? You're trying to make this world believable. Yeah. Okay? You're trying to show me that he's stuck here. Okay, so they will do something kind of cool. It's totally stolen from Insidious. He will play the piano because earlier he played the piano uh-huh. at a very certain, a very specific tune. And then he will play the piano here and they can't see him. So the idea is that he's stuck in some... And he's like trying to communicate realm. with them or something. Yes, yeah. trying to communicate. Now, apparently in this other realm or this other dimension or this other world, I don't know because they will not tell you. He's able to answer his cell phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somehow in the midst of being tortured, There's he's able screech. to press send and yeah. then it just scream <laughs> well and and a, a fucking flip phone has a loud enough speaker that it hurts their ears when they're when they have it you know like two and a half three feet away from their face and so alex drops it and it shatters nobody comments on the fact that tony's phone was just damaged and they just walk away alex just goes fuck this and he walks away still thinking that paul's playing a prank on them and Mac follows Alex, and then Tony's just left like, hey, what the fuck? He never comments on the fact that they destroyed his phone, and he needs a new phone now. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, they go down into the basement, and they find a new room that they didn't know about? Well, they don't find a new room. There is a new room that we've never seen. And they just act like we should know it's there. <laughs> and I forget what they're even doing in there, but when they go in, it's like... The way the room is positioned, it's right next to where the clowns are sitting. And where Melissa's going to be tied up later. They all go into the room. Whoever has the camera now turns back. All three heads are now looking at them. Oh, right. Yes. And he's like, I thought the whole point was that the heads couldn't turn. (laughs) And then when he turns around, goes back. They're facing forward again. They're facing forward again. Mm -hmm. And they're all trying to move the heads and they can't. And it's just like... They just write it off as Tony freaking out and being scared. It's on film! I know! They never check the film! No, they do. They actually look at this. And they're just kind of like... I guess that's weird. What? So Alex is pissed off at Tony. Sorry, no. Alex is pissed off at Paul for, for abandoning Post. And Mac's like, well, he's done this before. And Tony's trying to defend Paul. He's like, yeah, like eight years ago or something like that. Like this is something is wrong. And he's pissed off that nobody's reacting 
appropriately. And so it's, it is kind of part of the story that people are reacting strangely. And, and it gets to the point where Tony's like, fuck this. I'm leaving too. I'm out of here. And Alex is like, fine, go. And, but Max like, no, we can't lose Tony and Paul. <laughs> and so he goes after Tony who has still been recording all this, by the way, recording himself storming out of the yeah. house. And he goes into the field across yeah. the street and he sets the camera down to look at him just sitting in the field going, huh. And Max says, there's something that Alex hasn't told anyone. The reason why we have to put on the show and we can't leave. And once I tell this to you, you're going to realize that you have to stay too. Cut. The shot comes back and Tony's like, wow, I can't believe it. I do have to stay. Why didn't Alex tell anybody? Max like, I don't know. He hasn't even told Sarah. Wow, that's really fucked up. They do not tell you what this is. And it is so infuriating because they don't even have a good explanation for why it was cut out of the documentary. It is infuriating. They will never even mention it again. It is the most hack fucking bullshit and it pissed me off. It is infuriating. And it's not like with the end of Blair Witch where it's like, oh, it's it's creepier not knowing. No, it's like, who does this? This was my comment on, oh, God, what's his face that did Angels and Demons and the Da Vinci Code and everything? And everyone was reading his books. And I'm like, yeah, they're really fucking interesting. But he's a terrible writer. Brown, whatever his name is. He ends every chapter with like, but no, it could be that end chapter. <laughs> The difference is, when it comes back, he tells you what that is. <laughs> what else were we talking about where they write like that? Where it's like, oh man, this is going to be so big. Oh no. And But they don't actually know what's going to happen when they actually come back until we get to it. Oh, it's like. It's like the way Mark Gaddis and uh, What's-His-Face write Sherlock and Doctor Who and all those other shows. They'll end a season of Sherlock and it'll be like... Here's an unexplainable thing. Fucking Moriarty's back. And then when they come back for the new season, it's like they had no idea what they were going to do last time. They end the season and Sherlock's like, I know exactly what's going to happen next. I know exactly what they're planning on doing. And then when the new season comes back, they're like, well, tell us. And he's like, we're going to do nothing. We're going to wait and see what they do. I thought you said you knew what they were going to do. You know what I mean? Where it's like they write a thing. It's a big teaser. It's a big cliffhanger. And not even they know what the answer is. They'll, ah, we'll figure it out. This makes me feel the way that makes me feel. Where it's, oh man, this whole huge reveal thing. And you expect it to be revealed later. And it just never is. But this is an hour and a half movie. You could have just cut that. Or did some post-production and shot some new shit. It's not like a TV show where they film the end of a season and then they come back with Sherlock, especially like two years later and they realize, Oh fuck, we didn't know what we were doing. Let's just ride around it. We can't unrelease the previous season. All of this is self-contained in this movie. There is no excuse why it's like this other than to be like, we need something to be intriguing and we'll just never come back to it and hope that the audience doesn't notice. Well, I noticed and it's infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> the more I talk about this, the more I realize I don't like it, <laughs> but 
there's so many elements I do like about it. So it's going to be a, a conflict for me when we rate it. Paul will show back up. How do they find him? Where is He's he? in his bed. He's laying face down in his bed. Tony finds him and he's like unconscious. Like he's not responding no, 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 to no. anything. That's later. When they first find him, he's just sitting on the ground or something. And like when they try talking to him, he doesn't respond, but he kind of has like a half smile Oh, right. Smile you're right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Something like that. And they still think this is him fucking with them. Yeah. So they say, uh, so yeah, they put him to bed and he just doesn't get up. And they're like, Paul's fine. He's just a little under the weather. And they're like, I don't think so. Right. Because Melissa asks, like, where's Paul been? Now that he's back, he's not involved in anything. What's going on? And Alex is just trying to be like, it's okay. Yeah. And she's like, it's kind of creepy that he's just laying in bed. And Alex is like, no, it's not creepy. It's annoying. Yeah. That he doesn't want to work. Yeah. This is where I have my note. Why would this video be jittery and have all these artifacts? It seems lazy. Seems like a lazy way of increasing tension. This is when we will finally see what happened. Now, it's going to feel for you, audience, it's going to feel like it came out of nowhere. Chris says that he doesn't remember a line of dialogue. I remember a line of dialogue being said at some point, something about cults. A cult that was... Staying in this Yeah, I think that was part of the rumor around why the little girl disappeared. Something. But if the guy, if the hotel owner was part of this cult, Kelsey asked a good question, why would he have killed himself? Yeah. If he's part of the cult, why does he care what people think? Right, exactly. He got away with it. Exactly. So it's really confusing. So here is what happened. And again, it's going to feel like it came out of nowhere. It felt like that to us too, guys. Yeah. It really does. Because all of a sudden, there's this whole cult. There is people wearing hoods that appear out of nowhere. The robed figures just standing there trying to be intimidating. It seems kind of lame. Yes. So apparently, a guy in a cloak just appeared. Okay? In the basement where, again, Melissa is tied up. She has her shirt. Her nightgown is cut open and her she's wearing a bra and her nightgown, apparently. And but she's tied up with her hands above her head. Mm -hmm. And Joey is in the clown outfit on the ground, making sure he's there to protect her as the people walk through. But all the people are freaking out because now there's a robed figure that's just standing there and. Melissa is freaking out because she knows this isn't part of the show and she's telling people this isn't part of the show. This isn't part of the show. This is what I was telling you back when we were watching the houses October built. This is where scares go from here. It's not aggressively grabbing you and and slapping you in the face and spitting on you extreme experiences where you have to sign a waiver. It's things that make you start to question, is this actually part of the show or isn't it? That's the stuff that really gets creepy. And so I could see people going oh, man, this is really cool. I can also see people going, wait, is this not part of the show? Absolutely. And here's the thing. Before that happens, she's first yelling at Joey. And she's saying, Joey, you have the keys. Please just let me out. Because the dude in the robe 
<laughs> is taking his sweet ass time. He's to just get to standing her. there. Yeah. Yeah. Like Joey could have let her out. Now, here's the thing. Maybe the guy in the robe would have attacked Joey. There's no way to know because Joey didn't even try. And this is what I was saying earlier, okay? Joey will get scared and run away. Is that fucked? Yes. Would is I have it done believable? That? Yeah, it's believable. It's very believable. Uh-huh. Would I have done that? No. Would a lot of people have done it? Probably. Yeah, no, it's, it's 100% plausible that this would happen. So... In the midst of this chaos, the rest of the people are like, is he supposed to run? Is the guy in the robe supposed to be here? And she's telling them, no, he's not. And they're like, okay, um, what should we do? And she's like, I don't know. I need you to get me out of here. And there's so much confusion that people are starting to run Panic out. and run out. And What yeah. the robed figure does to the girl We'll never know. Well, it's a little unclear. So, again, the jittery footage makes things unclear. And now you're like, you can't see things clearly. So, oh, but what about the Blair Witch thing where what you don't know is more scary than what you do know? But, yeah, the Blair Witch thing has explanations. They're just people with camcorders. This tries to hide what's going on. It tries to obfuscate what's going on with video artifacting that doesn't fucking make sense. And that's my problem with it. What happens in Blair Witch is explainable. It's just some dudes with some camcorders and they don't get everything on tape all the time. That's that makes sense. This the camera is looking right at what's happening, except there's video artifacting again. When's the last fucking time that happened to you? But whatever. So what we see is the robe figure approach Melissa Then there's more robed figures. Then he reaches up to her. And at first I thought he was going to slice her throat or something. The next time we see Melissa, she's strung up on a cross on the other wall. Yes. And her head's down. And we don't know if she's dead or if she's alive or what. But we assume some sort of demonic cult sacrifice. Yes. And Mac and Sarah are trying to figure out what's going on. And they end up having to go upstairs And this is where they encounter the cult again. And they freak out in the attic upstairs. And then this is where the interviewers stop watching the footage. And they ask Sarah what happened. And Sarah says, I came down, um, came down the stairs from the attic. And when I got to the front door, the police were arriving happy to be alive they didn't ask me any questions or anything they just rushed me out nothing happened to you from the attic all the way to the front door you just left and but they present that question and you're starting to think yeah that does seem weird yes but she's like you know what i'm really tired but you haven't even said the fact that all the guys are now dead and we don't really understand why or how right it's never explained really what are we we assume that when she left Mac died up in the attic. Yes, Mac dying makes sense and we already know Paul's uh been uh taken Fucked over. Fucked up and it is. and I think it's Tony or Alex one of them is hung from a chain that they talked about before. Did we see that? We saw it and I can't remember which one it was. It doesn't matter. They're all dead except for Sarah. But they That's don't the bother part. to tell Oh, Sarah us and Paul. Why. The last time we saw Paul he was comatose. So but so Sarah and Paul are alive, but yeah, it's it, it's chaos. It doesn't matter. We just need to know that Sarah and Paul are alive. Sarah got out. We don't know what happened to Paul. 
She's giving this interview. She says she's too tired. She wants to go back to her hotel room and she just wants to rest for a couple hours. You can come see me. I'm in 2C. Just come and get me in a couple hours. And they're like, yeah, okay. And they're talking about what's going on amongst themselves, the interviewers. And then they decide that they're actually going to go check out the house. But why do they decide that? Because Sarah says. Oh, you, you should really go. You should really go. You should really see it. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense. Like it. And this is when the girl, like the guy will be like, I don't know if we should go downstairs. And yeah. the girl's like, are you scared of a ghost? Yeah. Again, the document. I kind of am. We know real people died here. Okay. Um, the documentarians are, again, there's the woman host and then there's the two techs, one of which is reviewing the footage. He stays at the hotel where they are doing this interview. And sees. And the other guy goes with a female documentarian and they go out and they're like, they talk to the concierge at the front desk and they're like, hey, we're going to go. Can you ring to see and, and let her know that we'll be back a little bit later? And the concierge is like, oh, we don't have letters in our room numbers. They're like, what? What are you talking about? Can you tell us where Sarah Havel is staying? Uh, we don't have a Sarah Havel staying here. Like, Which well, they wouldn't weird. be able to give that kind of information out. You'd be surprised what hotels can give out if you know the name of somebody who's staying there. I don't know about any more, but there's definitely a time where if you gave them a name, they well, could tell made, you where they were this staying. This was made like four years ago. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, you'd Fairly be surprised. Not if allowed. you have a piece of information, you can get more. But anyway, they're like, really weird, but fuck it. Let's go check out Hell House. So they go to Hell House, they break in, they see all the stuff we've seen in multiple different ways. But first we see the rest of the footage with the guy staying behind. I don't think watching. it's first, it's kind of interlaced. Yeah. So what do we see in the extra footage that the guy who stayed behind to review it sees? Which also doesn't make any sense. Why would they want to go before they finish the footage? Right. You have hours. You yeah, can finish your interview with her and then go to Hell House later. You got nothing like, but time yeah, here, uh -huh. people. Well, that's why they're saying, let's be efficient. All three of us don't need to review the footage. You review the footage. We'll go check out the house. That's what they're thinking. Stupid. So in the footage that the guy watches, Sarah runs and hugs Paul. She finds Paul. Yeah, is she filming at this point? I can't, I don't even know who's filming anymore. You know, that's a good point because Mac had the camera on his head and Mac's not with her right now. He's he's back up in the attic and he gets caught by the dudes with the robes. So I don't remember why she would have a camera, but somebody has a camera here. She hugs Paul, but then he brutally attacks her. The footage conveniently flashes back to a beautiful image of her. Oh, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> I think it happens in Cloverfield. But that's to show you what happened. Yeah. That's to show you the thing falling in. But oh yeah, the artifacting is what's causing the glitches in the digital footage to show you. Just so just, conveniently, yeah. a beautiful picture of her before anything bad happened. But also, <laughs> like in quarantine, he beats her with the camera. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then and then the camera is down on the ground and it's looking forward, and he's just standing there, and we just see his feet, and she's down on the ground in between the camera and his feet and we see her face is all bloody and she's fucked up but she's still alive and then all of a sudden she just gets dragged away just like in quarantine yes but on her back and that explains why there's the drag blood marks that we see on the floor that never got explained up to this point and then paul picks something up off the ground do we even know what it is 
It's a piece of glass or something. So, yeah, I, I seem to remember that I don't even know what happened. He cuts his own throat with it and drops down to the ground. And so we find out that Paul is the one with the self-inflicted throat cut. Mm -hmm. So he tries to call the crew, but they're not getting anything. Or no, he calls. And they, they, ignore they ignore him. It. They ignore him, which I'm just like, you know, he's watching right. footage. Why would you think he's calling you? Wouldn't you assume he has something important to tell you? Right. And so... They find the piano and they're like, oh, cool. It's the piano that we hear everyone talking about. We see in the footage. There's the dummy on here. Also, why wouldn't he keep calling? Right. But then what do they see? The, so they may, they go to the basement first and they also agree we're not going down there. <laughs> they go upstairs and they see a room and they're like, wait, on one of the room doors is 2C. Like, isn't that the room that she said that she was in? And the cameraman's like, fuck this. Let's get out of here. And she's like, no, we're right here. Let's just open the door and see what we see. And I, I had written down er earlier, it's a little obvious that Sarah is trying to convince them to go to the hotel because something's going to happen to them at the hotel. It was a little obvious. But sure enough, that's exactly what's happening. They open the door and they see Sarah sitting there. And they're like, Sarah, sweetheart, are you okay? And then all of a sudden... She turns. She turns. And her face is all bloodied up like mm -hmm. it was at the end of the video. Exactly. And... And then the dudes in the robes just appear. Just are there. Uh-huh. Well, because there needs to be camera artifacting first. Because apparently they fuck with electronics. Yes. This demonic cult. Maybe they're coming in through our realm through the electricity. <laughs> but if it's some ancient demonic cult... Why would they have any impact hey, on electronics? Electricity existed before we did. Right. I understand that. But electronic devices and microchips and cameras did not. Anyway, so they get attacked. And then there's a title card that says, to this day, the tragedy at the Abaddon Hotel remains a mystery to the public, which doesn't make any sense. Because that's exactly what the fucking documentary is about. Exposing this to the public. That's where this title card resides unless, at the end of the documentary, exposing it to the public. Unless they mean that it just doesn't, it's inexplicable what happened. Yeah, I These guess. These figures are inexplicable. Then you need better writers. You need better writers reviewing your copy and explaining to you what the words you're writing mean. <laughs> and what they're communicating. Because you're not doing an effective job of it. So, my last note here is... They literally don't tell you why they thought they couldn't leave. That makes it all the more annoying. It's a fucking J.J. Abrams mystery box, and it pisses me off. The fact is, there is no answer. You present a mystery that even you don't know the answer to, and that's going to be intriguing to people. But the problem is, like with J.J. Abrams, like with Sherlock that utilizes the same mystery box scheme is eventually you're going to have to tell us or we're going to be pissed. Or the answer is going to be lame and we're going to be pissed. You like it when this happens. I'm surprised you're being you're so mad about this. No, I don't mind that there's things that are unexplained. What I mind is they are promising things that they even they don't know the answer to. That's what I what I mind. When there's a mystery that we don't know the answer to and I don't feel like I've been promised anything, I don't mind. But when it's oh man, oh fuck, you're right, we do have to stay, and there's footage that's been cut out, you're promising me that by the end of this movie, I'm gonna know what they know. And they just forget about it. 
They just never come back to it. That's what's pissing me off. They do the classic J.J. Abrams mystery box thing, so and that's what bothers that me. that is way more angering to you than the whole, where did they come from? Who are they? Why are they doing yes, this? Yes, I don't mind that we don't have an explanation about the cult. Would I like to have it? So yes, but I don't need it, because they didn't promise me anything with that. Do I think the cult is lame? It's just some dudes in robes? Yes, ah. it's really fucking lame. Why do they have an effect on the electronic equipment? They never explain, and that's really lame. What pisses me off is when they make promises that they do not keep, or when they do keep them, the answers are obvious that even they didn't know what the answer was going to be ahead of time. That the fact that they were more invested in getting you hooked than they were with paying off. And that's my problem. And it's really fucking infuriating. Which is why I'm really conflicted because I love the concept. I love that they are more committed to the fact that it's an actual documentary. Even if they don't quite do as good a job as Curse of Blair Witch did. So I don't know where I'm going to land on this. Do you have any lightning round stuff that you wanted to talk about? So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? There are only nine reviews and there's no consensus drawn, but they do have a score. 88. 89%. So higher than Blair Witch Project. No Metacritic, no cinema score. I think a lot of people were enamored with this film because they didn't think about all these things. Right. I, if you just sat down to watch a movie, I feel like this would have been really entertaining. Yeah. Like, I was, they hooked me pretty quickly. They got me very intrigued, but they then lost me because I was just like, I don't, you're not bothering to, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know. I know that doesn't bother you. It's so funny because this one little thing that really irked you, I'm like, I think they explained it. I just don't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember it, but I'm way more frustrated with the whole, where are they coming from and who are they? I don't yeah. need you to explain to me that cults like to kill people. I get that. They're crazy. I but don't need it. where are they coming from? I want to know that. What I want to know is, are these filmmakers British? <laughs> Why? Because when they talk about the dude who stays behind, they say, Mitchell stays behind to catalog the footage. And they spell catalog C-A-T-A-L-O-G-U-E, which is the British spelling, I spell it not the way. American spelling. I well, spell you're wrong. No, I, spell I say wrong. I don't actually think wrong. I do many things the British way. I hate that the American way of punctuating with quotes is that every time, no matter what, you put the punctuation inside the quote it infuriates me. <laughs> so I, there are some British things, but it's like, it's bizarre that they I would do that. I spell theater and catalog the way British I people do because they spell it correctly and Americans <laughs> suck. <laughs> well, because fucking Webster decided one day that American English needed to be more different than British English and he just arbitrarily changed some spellings of words. <laughs> but it stuck. The way we spelled it might as well be theater. Well, it's theater. And er is er. Re would be theatre, and we don't do that. I do this arbitrary thing where if it's a live stage theater, I spell it with an re. If it's a movie theater, I spell it with an er. What? It's just an arbitrary choice I've made. <laughs> anyway, do you think eighty nine percent is overrated or underrated? Way overrated. What would you give it? I'm going to give this a sixty eight. Wow. Okay. 
I was going to give it, I was, I was thinking 70 at the highest. And so I think I'll get, I think I will in fact give it a 70 because. <sighs> it's entertaining. It's just not, it yeah. doesn't give a fuck about making sure that it all makes sense. And like Chris said, they just, they use glitches to, to cover things up and that seems lazy. Right. And I don't like it when movies just don't resolve things. We just caught Sarah speaking in tongues and we're just never going to bring it up again. Right. If right. you did that, if I woke up and you were talking in tongues, I would first assume you were sleep talking. Uh-huh. Okay. I would still be freaked the fuck out. How about this? If you knew that I walked around everywhere with a camera recording everything <sighs> and I disappeared, but you found my camera... Would you or would you not review the, the footage? The footage, yes. It was very irritating. I mean, even if one person just wouldn't think of it, there are four more of them there. No one thought to review the footage? <sighs> and it's just, it's, I'm more, I was going to say I'm more disappointed than I am angry, and that's not true. I'm not really that disappointed. I'm a little disappointed because I thought it has a lot of promise and... They just needed to ramp up all the documentary stuff and ramp down all the bullshit tricks. And so I think, oh, you know what? I'd really like to see a sequel. There are two sequels. There's one that was just on Shudder, which is actually where we watched this. It came out in 2018 and it was called Hell House LLC 2, The Abaddon Hotel. And in September of last year, so this is becoming an annual release sort of thing, is Hell House LLC 3, Lake of Fire. And I'm like, okay, where are you going from here? And I'm starting to have less and less confidence that you're going to have learned anything from the first movie yeah. and improve things, and it's just going to be schlocky bullshit. Yeah. I don't know that. I haven't seen either of the sequels, but that's what I'm worried about, is you're just going to ramp up the bullshitty sequelitis schlockiness. Which does suck, because... Like we've said, the beginning was strong. Yeah. Starting off with that footage of them going in. And Great. It was excellent. Yeah. Having the interviews of the scary details And then they just really kind of peter out and yeah. they provide you no new information. And, and then it just becomes found footage. And I'm not totally against that. I am against it like we've been talking about just making bullshit up. That's I think if I was going to make a horror movie, I would make a fake documentary because I just think there hasn't been a good one ever. It's all found footage shit. What I want is a documentary about something scary. The reason the guys made Blair Witch in the first place was because they thought, and I said this earlier, because they thought that watching a documentary about some unexplained thing or whatever was potentially scarier than just your standard movie. And they ended up with Blair Witch. Which is great, but I don't think that they hit on their original goal. I think they deviated from that. And I just, I I want to see one. And so if you have more fake horror documentaries, please let me know. Tell us. You weren't happy with... I, I haven't been really happy with any of yeah, them. Yeah, you haven't been happy with any of them. And that's my problem. I think there is something there. And no one has capitalized on it yet that I have seen, except for the supplemental material for Blair Witch, which oh, I thought you were going to say the house is October. No, which <laughs> for the most part 
does a good job, but there's still some bad parts, but it exists because they took it out of the actual movie. I will say this. I'm surprised that you don't like Houses That October Built more because it, especially the I really first liked one Houses watched, October Built. That pretty much falls in line with what you're looking for. It doesn't. It's, it's still, a horror movie. It's, it's got stuff that can't really happen. Right. And it's got interviews that were real interviews. That's the cool part about that. Well, some of them were, yeah. But my point is with, with the Houses October Built is there is no editorial voice beyond the people who end up becoming the victims. There is no person, like, who distributed this? Why isn't their editorial voice included? <laughs> like, if true crime is such a fucking phenomenon right now, and it has been for several years, and there are tons of fantastic true crime documentaries out there on Netflix, why is nobody trying to mimic that? Don't you feel Man Bites Dog did that? I mean, I don't think it did that, but you loved it. No, Man Bites Dog is the same fucking thing, where the people who are making the documentary are the victims. And so there's tons of questions about what about after they die. Why is nobody commenting in retrospect? Why is nobody telling the story of the events? Why are the documentarians part of the events? I think this was their best try their best attempt yeah because they always get sidetracked and they need the people making the documentary to be the victims stop fucking doing that whoever made the curse of blair witch they weren't victims but again that's just supplementary material <laughs> that they threw away and wasn't good enough for the movie because it's far scarier to watch it happen to someone i know than to hear about it but just on this show alone man bites dog Blair Witch, Houses October Built, Hell House LLC, none of them can resist the siren's call of having an inexplicable final product. <laughs> the closest anyone got was Houses October Built because we know they were editing it as they were going. And Man Bites Dog sort of because it ends with the footage still rolling because the cameraman is shot and then, you know. But who packaged that? Who released that? And not just in the context of, oh, this is something the government doesn't want to see. This is people's evidence, whatever, you know. No, somebody released this. Who is that hey, somebody and where is their editorial the voice? The Bay didn't do that. The Bay. The Bay gets close. <laughs> the Bay gets close. We've You're right. a lot of found footage movies. I forgot year. about The Bay. <laughs> I think we even mentioned it earlier on in this episode. I forgot about The Bay. The Bay gets close. But again, the bay is a lot of is a lot of uh, found footage pieced together. There's not a lot of like again experts being interviewed after the fact. People want to see what happened. They don't want to hear about what. Who happened. are people? Audiences. Am I not an audience You're member? You're a minority. Honey. I, that's fine. What I'm saying is, I would like to see that, and so it's almost like if the only way I'm ever going to see it is if I make it my fucking self, and that's so infuriating we because I'm not a filmmaker. <laughs> I don't have, but yes, if I was ever going to make one, it would probably be this. As opposed to just a collection of footage edited together, where are our interviews? I have a perfect idea for a film that I've stolen from another movie that I'm fairly certain they're making into a movie. What's that? Remember how my favorite segment from Holidays was about the serial killers that go on a date? Yes. I think that would be a fantastic movie. And For like a feature length film. I think they did that. If you know what movie Kelsey's talking about, write into us. Let us know. Or they're going to make one that's very similar. Yeah. But I love that idea. Yeah. I think that's such 
a clever idea and it sucks that it only got a tiny segment on a movie that nobody wants to see, apparently, because nobody wants to listen to that. And I'm telling you guys, Holidays is really good. <laughs> it was fun. It was definitely fun. <laughs> oh, man, we've watched a lot of found footage movies. Jeez. Okay. Well, here are two more. <laughs> this is the year of found footage. Yes. A benchmark found footage film from 1999 in the Blair Witch Project and an admirable but ultimately lacking modern version in Hell House LLC. Again, a lot of stuff I liked about it, but just too much I didn't like. Mm-hmm. What are we watching next week? So next week, I think everyone will be very excited. We've had so many people that are like, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? We're doing Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Dream Warriors! Yes. Fuck yes. And we're going to pair that with a recommendation. Although, I think James said it wasn't a good movie, but when we did Nightmare 2, he was like, this is reminding me of this movie. Uh-huh. I think he said it wasn't good, but we're going to watch it. Okay. Uh, we're going to watch Dead Awake. Huh. You say Dead Awake and it makes me think of Dead Alive. Do you remember what movie we paired with Nightmare 2? Was it Nightmares? The Nightmare. Oh, The Nightmare. Yeah. The documentary. An actual documentary. Yeah. Dead Awake is that, but a movie. Interesting. Not, not, uh, not. So like Night Terrors. Yeah, Night Terrors. It's about a woman. I think she's a therapist and she helps people and then she has Night Terrors. And, yeah. Oh, interesting. I think that's what it's about. But see, like, The Nightmare exists. It's a horror documentary, but it's like a legit actual documentary. Like, that exists. Why can't we take that format and then write it ourselves so we can make it better and more interesting, but have <laughs> the same exact structure? Why can't we do that? I don't know. Someone tell me where this movie is because I'd like to see it. I'm sure there's something out there. Well, we haven't seen Portrait of a Serial Killer yet. Henry, Portrait of, the, of a Serial Killer. You're right. It's a very famous one, and we haven't seen it yet. That's is that? I don't think that is a documentary, though, is it? Oh, it's it? not? I don't I think it is. It Maybe I just always got it confused with Man Bites Dog. Yeah, no, I think I did the same thing, and I feel like I looked it up when we were going to be doing Man Bites Dog, and it turned out it wasn't. The, do- the movie follows him, but I don't think it's framed as a documentary. I don't know. Doesn't matter. We'll eventually get to that movie, too. So cool. We are doing Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. It's the only way you can say it. <laughs> and <laughs> Dead Awake. Dead Awake. I'm beautiful and bad. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. My favorite. <laughs> She's so my favorite. And then she has the worst death that I can never yes. watch. Can't oh, watch it. Yeah. Oh, God. Can't watch it. Uh, but yeah. That, oh, God. <laughs> Cannot wait. I'm so excited. Oh, the, welcome to prime time, bitch. <laughs> yes. This is when Freddie makes that sort of change. When he starts saying bitch all the time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That is next week. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery, where we post a lot of supplemental material. If you think we did something and we got something wrong or whatever, we probably talk about it on Twitter. So <laughs> please follow us there. Or if you have a comment and you're like, wow, I disagree with you, share it with us on Twitter. By all means, we'd love to hear from you. 
I also created a YouTube channel. You can search for us there. All there is right right now is just those little clips that I've been sharing on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So you can find those there. So follow us there as well. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. Five-star written review is a tremendous help. Even if you're like, I don't know, maybe they're four stars. Just give us the five stars anyway. (laughs) Anyway, it helps. Thank you for sharing us with your friends. And of course, thank you for listening in the GD first place. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? I just want to apologize to Mike's mom, Josh's mom, and my mom. And I'm sorry to everyone. I was very naive. I'm so sorry for everything that has happened because in spite of what Mike says now, it is my fault because it is my project and I insisted. I insisted on everything. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. I don't want to live my life Addicted to the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape Smolders and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones In the video game? No, real life person I know the blockade or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> the balustrade, the Don't think either of those are the correct word. You would hang people it's from the gallows. What's his face? Gandhi played. Ben Kingsley played. (laughs) Gandhi. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Kelsey, why don't you get us started? What happens in Hell House? Hell House? Hell House. Whatever did happen to Alex? I don't know. Are they all dead? They're all dead. Right, but how did Alex and Mac die? And how did Tony die? It gets so confusing. Anyway, anyway. Why? No Why reason. would she give them to him? Why? To her? Yeah. To intrigue her? We're going to find out. You're, you're spoiling shit. <laughs> okay, well, can we just have this conversation and you can cut it out? Yes. Why would they get... Why would she give them the videotape? Find out exactly what happened and then don't come and be another sacrifice. They do come and be another yes, sacrifice. Yes, they do, though. but they almost didn't. And if he had gotten through on the phone, her plan would have fell apart. Yes. Stupidest plan ever. Yes. We'll talk about that at the end, actually. I think that's a good idea. So make sure we talk about that. Oh, they, they show you. They interviewed the guy. Oh, no, that's I'm thinking of Blair Witch. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, they interviewed the guy's brother. No, they didn't. <laughs> um... <laughs> God, I think when I get hot, I get angry. I'm sweating again. And I don't mean I got angry, so now I'm sweating. I mean, I'm sitting here baking in this hoodie that I'm wearing right now. (laughs) Tour de force.